cool. Uh, 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 James. Is it time? It's, it's time. I need to ask you about this thing. <laughs> this thing that you wrote on our notes about the best thing that money can buy. Um, as you are my personal ambassador to the world of comfort, I feel that you need to explain this to me real quick before we start the show in earnest. I would be happy to. I wrote down under the pre-show notes, just as a quick note, weighted blanket, best thing you can buy? The answer is obviously yes. Okay, I was gonna, you left the question mark there, but I'm, I'm glad that we're answering this for realsies. My entire life, I have, it's taken me like an hour or two hours, sometimes three hours, just to get to sleep at night. Because I'm an incredibly light sleeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've heard good things about weighted blankets and how they're like soothing and calming. Sure. And so I got one this past weekend. And oh my god. I put it on my bed and it feels like a 19th century illustration of a child falling asleep on Christmas Eve. You know how in like Night Before Christmas, there's this, like the shot of the kids and they're all in their bed and there's like a comforter on them, but it's like a huge like pile of blankets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Th- much that's much like how I feel like. right now as Pepper is deciding to climb all over me. But you're, you're describing oh, sort, of a, sort of a pastoral coziness. That is exactly the sort of environment that a weighted blanket creates. It is high sweet boy. <laughs> Good dog. Not Tyler. Not, I'm not no. addressing you, Tyler. Thank here. you. I appreciate that. Dog. I appreciate that. I wish, I truly do wish that we could have Pepper be a more interactive part of this podcast, but I don't, I, I don't quite know how that would work in an audio medium just yet. <laughs> His brain isn't quite there. But anyway, so like when we say a weight, like what, I've heard the term weighted blanket. And this is going to yeah. sound incredibly naive because I hear it a lot. And I feel like by this point in my life, I should have looked up like what it actually is. What makes a weighted blanket actually like weighted? Does it have an anchor attached to it? What's what's happening? <laughs> okay. So you know how beanbag chairs are full of those little beads and they're just kind of squishy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the beans. Alternatively yeah, the beans. bags. Yeah. Uh, a weighted blanket... Uh, is full of little glass beads, mm-hmm. uh, and mine that I got is 15 pounds of these glass beads. But they're in this cross-hatched pattern, uh, forming little pillows inside the blanket, like um, like shipping padding, or like bubble wrap. Oh, okay. So th- like each pillow of the blanket has a bunch of little beads inside. Okay, okay. So that's that's kind of what I was picturing. I was actually picturing like all four corners are weighted. I think no. it's what I had, but it's like Every, stitched in. Yeah, they're like individual little cells, so the weight is evenly distributed. Oh. So you can't just have, you can't just like roll over and the whole thing like slumps to one side. Oh. The uh, effect is there's all this like even pressure. Uh, they say it should be like 10% of your body weight or something like that. Okay. Uh, pushing you down into your bed. And it just makes you feel extremely cozy and you know comfortable holy shit and i i came home from work at like 9 a.m as i do on the weekends now Mm -hmm. and i hopped in bed because i usually try and get like a nap for like maybe an hour sometimes like usually half an hour because i'm a terrible sleeper 
Yeah. I got under this blanket and I slept for three and a half hours. Jesus. All right. <laughs> Without any like outside help or like melatonin or anything. Fuck. Okay. So, uh, okay. A number one, this is a thrilling endorsement and I have to go buy a weighted blanket for, well, for Lauren, if not for both of us, right? Two, my, my fear with this, <laughs> this is something I, I deal with this personally, is I work from home. Yeah. If napping became an enjoyable thing, I would not be able to get through the day without thinking about how great it would be to nap right now. Tyler, I'm so sorry, but this thing makes it near impossible to get out of bed in the morning. Holy shit. You know how you wake up and you're just like, this is the most comfortable I've ever been in my life, and I don't want to leave. Imagine that, like, all the time. Like, dialed up to 11. That's like, that feeling that you're describing right there, that is my Christmas morning. Right? That yes, happens this is to me. Christmas morning in a product. Holy crap. That happens to me maybe once a year. Can we get sponsored by a weighted blanket company real quick? I feel like we're doing a really good job spending 15 minutes talking about weighted blankets and we're not getting paid for it. No, I I this is free of charge my endorsement of this. If it helps even just one of our listeners, it's worth it. Holy shit. All right, well let's let's look start the episode in earnest now. But for those who are celebrating the Christmas time holiday, uh i'm a big fan of just like treating yourself for christmas like sure get get presents for other people but do whatever it takes to make you feel the 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 holiday warmth and 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 peace and joy and what have you's uh it sounds like a weighted blanket's the way to go yeah and they come in different sizes and uh weights um i'm picturing you guys getting a blanket for just the the two of you Mm -hmm. but if it's like 10% 10% of your body weight, Tyler, I don't think Lauren would ever be able to escape. No, no, no. I was just thinking that because our, our, our body weight is um, <clears throat> about 100 pounds difference. Um, uh, and Just uh, like hydraulic press channel, just... Uh, yeah, no, I think we would need to... We would need to skew probably on the lighter side so that it's good for her and just light for me, but that's okay. Yeah, they're, they range in price. I think mine was 40 bucks. Um and they're they're different qualities. You sh- apparently you should look for ones with glass beads inside. Okay. Are those are th- and so anywhere between like forty and like seventy, eighty bucks. Oh wow, that's cheaper than I was expecting. Are they washable? Um, I don't really know. Like machine washable? Do you have to pull out each like, individual bead? No, they're sort of like comforters where they have little. Um, little loops on all four corners so you can get like a comforter uh, case or a, um, like a duvet cover kind of thing. Yeah, like a duvet cover okay. and put it in one of those and then just take that out and wash oh, it. Oh, okay. 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 Cool. But I feel like if you take one of these things and put it in a washing machine, it would break the washing yeah, machine. Yeah, that's, that's probably a bad idea if it's like, how, how did you say yours was? Uh, 15 pounds. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's probably a bad idea, right? Like that's, that's more yeah. than a full load. It's like that America's funniest home videos of the washing machine going outside and someone chucks a brick in it and the whole thing just like kind of spins around and parts go flying every direction. I love that Mythbusters <laughs> episode. Uh, should we talk about Yu-Gi-Oh now? 
We should probably talk about Yu-Gi-Oh, that famous cartoon we all know and love. That famous cartoon that we do a podcast about. It's time to pop up pop pop podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to You Activated My Podcast, the weekly Yu-Gi-Oh recap podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jimmy. This week we're talking about season two, episodes twenty-three and twenty-four, double duel, colon, parts three and four. Double duel. Double duel. We're doing the second half of the four part arc. Yeah. We were like, should we do this whole four-parter in one episode, the answer was obviously not. Obviously not, and I'm actually very thankful for that, because I feel like we would have spent the entire time just talking about episode four. Yeah, that's, like, that's the only episode where stuff happens. Right, right. Stuff happens a little bit in episode one, kind of, and then the the punchline is episode four. Yeah. Do you feel like... Sorry. Do you feel like the actual setup for this arc of episodes was not in Double Duel Part 1, but it was in, um, what was the arc before <laughs> before this? Not not the one with Mako. What was the arc before that? Where oh, we first the see one Slifer? where he's, oh, the one where he's dueling the, um, clown guy. Not the clown guy, the The, mime. The mime guy. Uh, yeah. where he's dueling, uh, strings. 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 Uh, not legendary fisherman. I'm scrolling way down through our notes. Um, slifer, no slifing. Uh, mime control, mime control. Oh, how could I forget mime control? Mime control part one, I think, was the real setup of this because that's where we first meet Loomis and Umbra, even though they don't have those names, and that's where we first get the idea of like, all right. Kaiba is like super vengeful. Sorry, puppy's making smacking noises at the microphone. What is he, he doing? Want, he wants He's to be, just pointing he his to nose petted. at you and going, ar, 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 ar. Lauren's at a Christmas party right now, so like he 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 does not know what to do. Aw, uh, heartbroken. He's become really popular at work because he gets a little anxious anytime I talk at something that's not him. So anytime I have mm. a video meeting, he like wants to be a part of it. He's and of course, I'm, a, I'm sure that boosts your esteem among your colleagues. People like me the better guy after with they the cute my dog. dog. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I, I feel like Mind Control Part 1 was where we met Loomis and Umbra, and we, we learned two things about Kaiba. Number one, vengeful as fuck. <laughs> Number two, this boy loves Obelisk. <laughs> he loves Obelisk almost as much as Blue Eyes. I... Possibly more. Possibly more, I think, is what we're learning here. Um, but so, okay, so I, I wrote down a, a, a lot more detailed notes. Because last week we were just like, nah, duel, whatever. I wrote down a lot more notes about the duel. Um, we also have the, the Wikia page pulled up. Oh, good. Um, yeah, I feel uh, like last episode uh, could have benefited with better um, notes on the, the duel. 
Yeah, you know. And we started like, taking these notes because it was such a pain in the ass to write down every single thing that happens in the duel. Yeah, and like you said, I, I don't know that like it was really necessary until these couple of episodes to write detailed notes about the duel, but having said that, I will have detailed notes about the duel for these two episodes. Good. Um, As a brief recap, I guess, uh, Kaiba and Yugi are dueling these two rare hunters known as Loomis and Umbra uh, on the top of a like mega city one-esque skyscraper yeah that has a glass roof for some reason and the rare hunters have set it up so that if any of them uh reach zero life points then their sort of quadrant of glass will shatter and the duelist will be plummeted uh to the depths of hell i mean the shadow realm yeah Clearly, obviously, in the original episode, it was they just splatter on the ground. But Four Kids was like, "Can't people have, can't have these guys splattering on the ground? It's a kids show. They'll just go to hell for all eternity." And <laughs> we're gonna come back to that concept later on. I don't think there was a need to censor it. If we're being completely honest, because we see what happens. Spoiler yes. alert: This is gonna happen to somebody. Uh, we. In, in, in the previous couple of episodes, we're introduced to Loomis and Umbra's, like, mask motif. They're both wearing masks, like these half-sun and moon masks. Um, and all of their monsters and spells are mask-related, including two masks that are on Yugi's side of the field, quadrant of the field, uh, that both prevent um, Alpha the Magnet Warrior, pardon me, Beta the Magnet Warrior, from attacking, and uh, prevent, I think, either Yugi or Kaiba from sacrificing Summoning, monsters. Yeah. They can't uh, sacrifice monsters, and because they can't sacrifice monsters, they can't summon bigger monsters under the rules of the Battle City tournament. Right, so that's important point number one. No sacrificing for them. Important point number two is because there are two masks on Yugi's side of the field, every one of Yugi's turns, Yugi loses a thousand life points. So that's kind of the main source of tension here as far as Yugi's concerned. Uh, we start with, uh, Kaiba has figured out a way, Kaiba and Yugi have figured out a way to work together and summon Blue-Eyes White Dragon without sacrificing anything by discarding Kaiba's entire hand, uh, and then playing Monster Reborn to re-summon Blue-Eyes from the graveyard. That's sort of a, a clever workaround. A combo, yeah. Right. If it's that easy... To draw and play Monster Reborn on a whim, I don't know why he doesn't do this all the fucking time. Maybe he does. This is the first time we've seen Kaiba in a Battle City tournament duel. Well, it's the second time. Well, because yeah, we saw him discounting the first time he fought the Rare Hunters. Right. Uh, so uh, we open on Blue Eyes White Dragon being reborn, ready to lay down the proverbial smack. Uh, Yugi says, Kaiba and I make a powerful team, and you two rare hunters are no match for the combined power of our decks. And Kaiba's just like, what he really means is I'm going to defeat you, right, Yugi? Right. And Yugi's like, no? No, we're going to do this t together? No, uh, we're a team? That's the, the point of this duel. 
And Kaiba is just going off on this like mafia style redemption arc, not redemption arc, revenge arc, right? Where he, he, he literally has a line that I wrote down where he goes, no one disrespects my family and gets away with it. Yeah, uh, he's, uh, so he's a little mad. He, yeah. So he goes to attack uh, uh, either Loomis or Umbra. But they have a card out on the field, a monster called monster card called Mast Beast. Uh, Our mas- good friend Mast Beast. Mast Beast is a is a uh, masquerade centaur. Yep, it's a horrible monstrosity. Uh, <laughs> it's got a bunch of faces all over it, and it has currently two hundred more attack points than Blue Eyes, which Umbra points out. Yugi says, "Hold on now, friend Kaiba." <laughs> Uh, and and sort of implies that Kaiba can still destroy Mast Beast because teamwork and trust and stuff. Yeah, I got you, bro. You can go ahead. Just attack. I got this. And at no point, I feel this is important for Yugi's communication skills, at no point does he say, I have a plan. That's true. He doesn't. He just says, because teamwork. (laughs) Uh, Kaiba immediately thinks that it's a trick. Because apparently he thinks that Yugi would bait Kaiba into making them both lose. So their friends stay kidnapped and they both plunge thousands of feet into the Shadow Realm. And then he then he like he talks his way through that whole like line of thinking and realizes, no no no, that's ridiculous. Uh and then he has blue eyes attack. <laughs> Kaiba would be that guy who takes over the entire group project. He would be. And and like in that vindictive way right yeah of like well if you can't do it right i'm just gonna do it myself when really he you haven't like done anything yet yeah and you're like trying to do stuff but then he would like take over the whole thing and like not let you work on it i may be speaking from experience here i i mean you know we were film majors jimmy what group <laughs> projects did we have that was sarcasm Yes, I, I gather all our all all of our projects are. You you get it. Um. So okay. So Blue Eyes attacks Mass Beast with one of my favorite like animations of the White Lightning attack. Honestly, like this this animatic here of it revving up for an attack is maybe my favorite since we watched um, GX. And we had that really cool like wind up of an attack that cuts back and forth between um, I forget the monster now the avian hero I think mm. uh, and and Jaden talking. This cuts back and forth between like blue eyes charging up my lasers uh, and like Kaiba's face and Loomis's face and Umbra's face and Yugi and and everything's just like building and building and building. Uh, and it attacks and Mass Beast is defeated. Yeah. Uh, This is some of the best animation we've seen of Blue Eyes just in this arc that we've seen for the whole show, really. I would love to see, because we brought this up in in previous episodes, right? Like, the animation style does change, right, over the the course of the season. And I would love to see, man, there must be a way for me to do this. I would love to see a breakdown of when certain animators start and which of the movies they're involved in. Because I'd be willing to bet that some of the animators that are on this episode are also on Dark Side of Dimensions. Because this is where we start to see the style of the monsters sort of lean more to that, like, angular sci-fi anime, like, 
hyper real action kind of thing going on. Yeah, um, instead of just like floating cutouts. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which Sorry, is I'm often gonna, the case. I'm going to try putting Pepper down. Let's see if he does that. Oh, good boy. Okay. He's going over to his ginormous bed that is almost as big as mine. Um, all right. So we get that. Mass Beast is defeated. Uh, and Yugi reveals that it was defeated because when Beast of Gl- Glyfer? Glyfer? Gilfer. Beast of Gilfoil. Uh, when his previous monster retired, uh, when it was sent to the graveyard, he activated its special ability that reduces the attack of another monster uh, by 300 points. So he had that monster reduce mass beast attack by 300 points, and nobody noticed until just now. Yeah, <laughs> I guess like that's just a later. thing you can do. Even though this is like a holographic field and every time you do anything you have to like yell it at the top of your lungs he was able to do this secretly somehow well let me get that whole computer readout right of like the attack points raising and lowering like anytime anything changes but no one noticed he did a he did a slash whisper shh right very very quiet (laughs) i'm hunting the masked beast uh and, uh, yeah, so that is what happened is actually Mass Beast had a hundred fewer attack points, uh, and, um, yeah, he died. And so the, the cultists are super mad, um, and they're like, you, like, right before this happened, Yugi was like, I'm going to boost your blue eyes so it can defeat Mass Beast, and he boosts the blue eyes so it can defeat, defeat Mass Beast, and the cultists are like, how did this happen? <laughs> Because yeah, he literally just said what he was about to do. Right. Ah, math. How does that work? Uh, so Kaiba thinks that this whole maneuver was that Yugi is trying to take the glory for defeating Mass Beast. The glory has, of this double duel. He has this whole fucking inner monologue where he's like, how dare Yugi think that he can take the glory of this kill by playing a measly spell? It was my blue eyes that did the defeating. <laughs> hey, bro, that was my kill. Yeah, Quit spawn right? camping. Right, like he's he's accusing Yugi of kill stealing when like it, he hasn't grasped the fact that they're on a team yet, and that that's kind of the whole point of this episode. Yeah. So at this it's point, it's not Loomis, a good look. It's really not. And it's really really annoying. Uh, Loomis plays uh, two cards face down, switches to Yugi's turn. He takes another thousand points of damage. He draws, plays a card face down, summons Alpha the Magnet Warrior, and then has Alpha the Magnet Warrior attack Loomis's face down defense monster that he just played. Uh, it turns out that that was a card called Four Faced Beast. Loomis knows that he has a trap card that he could have played, but it wasn't worth it for just Alpha the Magnet Warrior. Because Alpha the Magnet Warrior, like, in uh, context, isn't that powerful, right? He wants to yeah. save the trap card for Blue Eyes. Uh, so Four-Faced Beast is destroyed. Umbra, through their little mask microphones, reveals that they don't have any monsters left. And he does not clarify <laughs> at all whether he means on the field, because they don't, or in their decks. And I was worried, <laughs> because... I thought that the whole deal here was that Umbra and Loomis, or that Umbra, rather, had all the monsters and Loomis had all the spells. All the magic, yeah. And they have, like, 60-card decks. 
So if they are out of monsters, that means that Umbra has played through 60 monster cards. You done goofed. You done fucked up, my friend. <laughs> he uh, just mills his own deck and dies because of it. I <laughs> I watched a video, actually, of somebody who did exactly that. Um, because we do this show on YouTube, I get a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh! recommendations. Uh, and <laughs> I, I got a video that I watched, like, half of that's this guy playing the VR Yu-Gi-Oh! game, like, the oh, unofficial yeah. VR Yu-Gi-Oh! game. And he's, like, trolling a friend of his by just playing troll decks. And one of them is, I'm going to forget the name of the card now. It's like Chalice of, of something. But it's essentially Pot of Greed where you draw two cards. Or it's uh, you draw three cards and then pick one and then shuffle the other two back into your deck. But it's an entire deck of that. <laughs> I think I've seen this before. And he just <laughs> announces it every time. And his friend is like, oh, my God, dude. Yeah, he's, he's just like, and he reads the full like rules of the card every time. But then he ends up just milling himself to death in one turn. Uh, anyway so Loomis announces not to worry good friend I have a plan we cut away from the duel and uh, Mokuba and Taya are together in the warehouse you know the empty box warehouse where else are you going to store piles and piles of empty cardboard boxes of course of course they're literally uh, <laughs> in just a giant room with nothing but a, like a Tetris pile of cardboard boxes that are all empty. It looks like Portal after you escape the test rooms. Oh, it does, doesn't it? This is this is the factory that like the Portal test chambers are built in. Uh, the Aperture Science made uh, cardboard boxes instead of shower curtains. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, you got to put the shower curtains in something. That's true. Uh, so Mogaba wants to try getting in touch with Seto, but he remembers the thugs took his laptop. You remember the laptop with full access to all of Kaiba Corp's uh, satellites full and Full satellite passwords? control and, and every deck that Kaiba owns, apparently. Right, all of his cards. Uh, I would be a little bit more upset about this than he is, because he yeah. just kind of goes, oh, well. Oh, keys to my kill satellite? Here you go. I'm sure uh, it's around here somewhere. He's he's mostly sad that he can't get in touch with, with Seto. Um, we cut to another room in the same warehouse, I think, where Joey is uh, strapped to a folding chair in, like, an interrogation room. And uh, Merrick's uh, right-hand man? Top it's the guy with the, Yeah, it's the guy with tattoos all down the half of his face. Right, named Odeon. Uh, Odeon comes in. That is a cool name. It's a really good name. Uh, and Odeon. I don't even remember if he says anything, but he holds his hand up towards Joey. And Joey's like, hey, like, tell me what's going on. Let me out. Let me get to my friends. You can he talks some you. shit, too. Joey's like, hey, let me out of here, and I'll show you how you take Joey Wheeler. Yeah, he just, he, he like, wants to deck this guy. Yeah. Uh, and... I'll show you how we do it in Brooklyn, here in America. <laughs> and I don't fully understand the scene because what happens is Merrick appears behind Joey holding the Millennium Rod. But that's... But it's not like, oh, he steps out of the shadows. Merrick just, like, fades in 80% of the way. Yeah. Merrick's not there, is he? 
I don't think so. That's a great question. Because that means that he would have been in the room the whole time. But no, he we clearly saw him uh, hanging out with uh, Bakura last episode. He is off in right. the middle of a city somewhere. So that means that he is doing a thing that we know that he can do, which is mind control Odeon and see through Odeon's eyes. But Merrick uses his Millennium Rod to turn Joey into a mind slave. Let's just rip that bandit off fast. Joey is now a mind slave. Achievement unlocked. <laughs> mind slave get. Uh, and so he does this through Odeon. That's pretty baller. That is badass. And this is somebody who can, it seems, control multiple people at once, or at least very quickly switch between mind slaves. So does this mean that any one of his mind slaves is a vector for Merrick's mind slavery? Yeah. Why is he dicking around just trying to get some kid's puzzle when he could be like three steps removed from controlling the entire U.S. nuclear arsenal or something? If he right. wants to take over the world. Merrick. Mer- okay. So clearly, Kevin Bacon does not exist in this world, I think is what we're learning from this. Because if he did, Merrick would realize the six degrees of separation thing. He would immediately make <laughs> Kevin Bacon his mind slave. Right. I mean, that's what I would do, frankly. Through uh, some, but- like, guy he met one time, and their, like, cousin who's a manager, and then, like, through Taylor Swift, and then Kevin Bacon... <laughs> it's just this chain of mind control what did yogurt tell you about me he told me enough he told me you were my father no lone star i am your cousin's brother's mother's ex-boyfriend's next door neighbor what does that make us absolutely, absolutely nothing nothing uh, mind slaves <laughs> so like i like merrick is completely missing the point of uh, well, well he's completely missing the lesson that I think anybody who's played D&D knows as soon as they make a necromancer never do the work yourself yeah that's why you have guys right you got you have a guy <laughs> anyway Joey is a mind slave now we cut why couldn't back- he have just made Yugi his mind slave this whole time it couldn't get him to sit still for long enough <laughs> I, don't, just, I he- don't know you need to, them to hold in the area of effect for, like, five seconds for the right, it's, effect it's an, to load. It's an AoE centered on self. <laughs> it's an aura. It's an aura attack. Um, it, it, anyway, uh, back to Taya and Mokuba. They have moved a bunch of boxes so that they form a sort of ladder up to a skylight, because that's a thing that every warehouse has to have, apparently. Mokuba makes it up to the skylight, but... Uh, what four rare hunters come in and like start knocking the boxes over? Yeah, they start uh, climbing the box tower, and and that causes the boxes to fall over and Taya to fall on top of the rare hunters. So, that, but Mokuba is able to crawl out, and then the cult is split up because uh, I guess you just don't need security cams at a cardboard box warehouse, <laughs> right? <laughs> There's no one watching security cameras because no one's going to be breaking into a cardboard box warehouse. And I guess none of them have realized that they have access to, like, the world's most powerful satellite system yet. Yeah. They that could literally track the... him. Yeah. They could track literally everyone in Battle City, but they're just like, uh, weird box, huh? I don't care. Yeah, whatever. 
Uh, so that yeah, so they split up to go search for Mokuba, forgetting that his older brother is literally Batman, uh, and he evades them by hiding in a shipping container. I mean, it's a it's a port with a bunch of warehouses around. There's a lot of weird places to hide. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it it feels very like. I know we've referenced Assassin's Creed a lot on the show, but it feels very Assassin's Creed when, when the guards are looking around and then you just hide in some tall grass. Yeah, you just like crouch down, your head is still sticking out, but it counts as being undetected. Right. The guards are just like, huh? Uh-huh. Where did he go? So, Mokuba gets away scot-free. Uh, we go back to the duel. Umbra plays uh, Rogue Doll. Uh, who, oh, I <laughs> for those who listened to last week's episode, in the, the mystery lost audio, Rogue Doll won its battle against uh, Gaia the Fierce Knight. Congratulations, Rogue Doll, author of James and the Giant Peach and the BFG. Um, Rogue Doll uh, is summoned and attacks Blue Eyes, uh, wherein uh, Loomis activates a uh, Two mask cards, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the first one is Mask of Weakness, which reduces Blue Eyes' attack points by a, a number. Yeah, this is kind of funny because a Mask of Weakness flies out and attaches to the Blue Eyes, but mm-hmm. it attaches to the Blue Eyes' chest. So it looks like a Blue Eyes White Dragon is wearing like a novelty face-shaped vest. Yeah. It doesn't go on his face. I don't know what the deal is there. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just like didn't want to animate over the face, or because it's such an iconic monster. Maybe they. It's it would just like go bloop right on the front of his like nose and not actually affect blue eyes. Oh, uh, although boy, I mean, if if uh, Kaiba was offended by Toon Blue Eyes or Blue Eyes Toon Dragon, how offended would he have been by this fucking mask? <laughs> You've ruined his honor. <laughs> uh, super offended by mask blue eyes. Blue Eyes just turns around and says, Smokin'! <laughs> Blue Eyes Mask Dragon. Uh, so, <laughs> so Mask of Weakness comes out, reduces Blue Eyes' attack points. I could not catch the number for the life of me, but by some amount. A lot. Uh, Loomis also plays Mask of Brutality, which gives Rogue Doll another 1,000 attack points, making it officially stronger than Blue Eyes. Also, it's a mask with claws where the eyes should be, and that's upsetting to me. It's a little gross. And it makes Rogue Doll look even creepier. I mean, it does clarify where the face actually is. That's true. We were having this discussion. It's the thing that looks more like a face than the thing that looks kind of like a face. (laughs) The thing that looks kind of like a face? Not a face. It's the other thing. Uh, So, (laughs) uh, let's see. Where are we at? Uh, There is... Oh, (laughs) So Rogue Doll is mid attack. Yeah, and he then yells, there's... "Rogue Doll, smash attack!" And oh shit, Rogue... does he? Yeah, and Rogue oh, Doll holds side A to charge up his smash attack before sending <laughs> Blue Eyes out of the ring. Uh, so Blue Eyes White Dragon is too big for Smash. That's a Ridley joke. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was gonna say, well, no, they let Ridley in. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, so there's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful shot of Yugi playing a card. And it's another very similar shot to the one that I liked so much from before, where it cuts between the main action and just like side things that are happening, right? Where it's Yugi playing a card is the main action. And we get like six angles on this, on him just holding out a card. 
Uh, yeah, he has and, some great animations this episode. And I oh, played this scene a couple of times, and the captions went by too quickly. It sounds like he says, I play mystical rap battle. <laughs> Do you know what card this is? No, what is it? I don't know. Oh, That's I thought you were like setting me up to... No, no, no. That's what this is a legitimate question. I do not know what card this is. It sounded like mystical rap battle, but I think that is just me hearing what I want to hear. Let me look through the the actual readout, the whole the whole duel, and see if I can find out. Okay, while you do that, I'll just the, briefly oh, say we oh. talked about this before. It's mystical ref panel. Oh my god, mystical ref panel. Okay. Ref being a shortened version of reflection? I guess. It's a mirror. It's, you know, when you have a ref panel in your house, (laughs) it's a reflection panel. So Yugi plays mystical reference panel. Uh, And uh, yeah, it does a thing where it makes blue eyes stronger than rogue doll again. Yeah, it takes... The thing is, it takes the magic of one that you're playing and then, like, reflects it onto something else. And so the thing that he's playing on to Rogue Doll actually makes Blue Eyes stronger instead. That makes no fucking sense, but I'll run with it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Uh, So, uh, yeah, so I guess uh, Rogue Doll is no longer a thousand points stronger. It's actually Blue Eyes that's a thousand points stronger. Blue Eyes defeats rogue doll and kaiba gets mad about yugi's helpfulness yeah we get this shot of like five minutes as the blue eyes attack hits rogue doll and rogue doll is just like blasting with lightning as it explodes everywhere and then it just keeps cutting back from forth from that to kaiba inner monologuing about how much it sucks that yugi just saved him and it's such like it's such a shitty way to say it, too, because he's like, how dare Yugi besmirch my honor? I could have handled that attack myself. Yeah, it's like, calm down, dude. This is like the shittiest possible attitude you could have. So, part of this, though, what does happen, a good thing that happens, is that Loomis and Umbra, and they t- somebody says this, it's textual, Loomis and Umbra begin to lose their team spirit. Maybe Kaiba's rubbing off on them. I don't know. Uh, no I mean, sooner they do. We... Yeah, they start bickering. And right. Kaiba kind of like eggs them on a little bit. I think we've seen him do this before. But it's more of they're like start blaming each other for their problems. And it's just very, very quickly where they jump straight from being a team to like, actually insulting each other right yeah and i think it i think what it really starts with is umbra is now mad that loomis has played spell cards that actually got rogue doll killed yeah so we, we do get a little bit more into like kaiba actually starts like verbally attacking them at this point like actually tearing them apart but before that we get to maybe the best scene in this whole episode yeah, uh, boy. We cut to a train station. Uh, Meanwhile, and... in a completely different anime altogether. <laughs> uh, we 
we cut to we, uh, uh, Jimmy. We've both seen um, uh, uh, Ava. We, we've seen uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yeah, it's that train station is what it feels like. It kind of is. It's just a little train station surrounded by this like verdant pastoral uh, like farmland. This that, beautiful countryside. This beautiful countryside. And it's uh, Tristan and Serenity uh, leaving the hospital and getting on the train to get into Domino City. And it's like, how far away is this hospital from the middle of the city that we just saw, like, last episode? Yeah, what the fuck? This is, so specifically the voiceover, the uh, the tannoy, as they would say, uh, is saying, uh, you know, train for Domino City now leaving. And they're, like, running to catch the train because they think they're going to miss it. Uh, and it is a a train from somewhere into the city. Yes. Not a different part of the city, not from like a suburb, but from a, a different place entirely into Domino. They specifically refer to it in the voiceover as the town of Domino, not even Domino City. Jimmy, this fucks me up. <laughs> this threw me for a loop. Because earlier on in the season, Joey Wheeler walks from the... walks. From the middle of Domino City to this hospital. Yeah. How freaking big is the city? How far away is the hospital? What the actual fuck? Did we just like walk for six hours without us noticing? Now, okay, so so I went to London for like the first time uh, since moving here uh, over the weekend, right? Just for like a day trip. Jolly old London town. Jolly old London. And it was my first time like really exploring. And I went on the tube for the first time. And the tube, the tube is fine. It's like New York. You get on the subway. Everyone kind of agrees that it's like kind of shitty. The tube goes a lot of places and it goes very far. You can get from one side of a very large city to the other. But Thanks it's for not... explaining me how trains work, Tyler. Please continue. Well, yeah, okay, okay. But it's not going to fucking take you to like, you know. York to... Dales? It's, yeah, it's not going to take you to the countryside. That I'm aware of. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think it is. This is a legitimate train. Yeah, this is a, a light rail at least. This is something like the Max in Portland. Sure, sure. The longest rail of the Max, right? An overground train. This is this is going from Well, no, it's even bigger than the Max, because we get a shot of like the train engine and this like double decker. Well, okay, and we get a shot later on that's really, really going to fuck me up, but we need to keep this moving. Uh, bear, Just everyone bear in mind, this is a real-ass train. Okay, so uh, we cut back to... Oh, I've lost my place in the notes. Oh, no. Oh, no. We've cut back to the duel. Uh, <laughs> this, is my, this is my literal note. Back at the duel, Kaiba continues to be a control freak, comma, what a douche. I don't remember why I wrote that. He's just being an asshole. He's he's being a to general Yugi. asshole. Yeah. Uh, because he doesn't want to be a team player, even though Yugi has now like made several good plays that utilize both of their cards. Uh, Umbra plays... Oh, that's why. Uh, Kaiba has Blue Eyes go to attack uh, Umbra directly, because now Umbra doesn't have any monsters anymore, which is why Umbra is mad at Loomis. Umbra plays a, a spell card called Mask of Impregnability, which protects him from all attacks for one turn. 
Ladies, don't forget to take your mask of impregnability. I mean, I don't think it should be the lady's responsibility to bring a mask of impregnability along. I think the gentleman can also have a role to oh. play in the <laughs> wearing the mask of impregnability. I, I, you know what? I'm I call call me progressive. Call me whatever you like. I think that both parties should have a, a sort of consensual, agreed upon. Somebody should. Uh, plan to be the one that provides the massive impregnability, you should just talk about it first. Well, it would protect um, you from attacks from one turn. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everyone gets protected. Uh, I like massive impregnability. I, I enjoy that there is a card that's basically the version of like the protect attack from Pokemon, where it just protects you from one turn. But like, boy, what a temporary strategy, huh? That's how... What's that one turn really going to do for you there, Umbra? Against the blue eyes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kaiba, and th- this is this is the part where he really starts digging into them. He points out that Umbra played Massive Impregnability for himself and probably would not have done the same if he'd attacked Loomis instead. And Loomis goes, hey, that's right. Interesting. My teammate is an asshole who would do that. And Kaiba just starts doing this, like, uh, you know, you can't trust anybody. The only person you should trust in life is yourself. And he's basically doing the line from Princess Bride where, uh, you know, Wesley, as the Dread Pirate Roberts, tells Princess Buttercup that life is pain, highness, and anyone who says otherwise is selling something. But he does it in a Kaiba voice that I'm not going to do because it is hurting my throat now. Uh, Yugi catches on to this, right? He's He all but calls this verbal abuse a, a strategy uh, and uh, realizes that, oh, actually, maybe this is Kaiba's way of, of being on a team. <laughs> Just S- be an asshole to himself and to me and to others. This is, you know, if this is how Kaiba wants to show affection, far be it from me to tell him to stop, I guess. That is verbal abuse and you should not tolerate it. Uh, no, 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 please don't. Um the the like super ridiculous part of this for me though is that there comes a point where you sit and you think about all the things that the different people in this duel are saying and there's a point where Kaiba says this duel is over and that's the point where you can fill out your bingo card because everyone in this duel has said this duel is over at least once in this four part series <laughs> this duel has been over according to several duelists for quite some time yeah they keep saying it like, oh, this next turn I'm going to get you, and then the next turn they don't get you, and they're like, what? Somebody needs to get got. So we cut back to the train. The real train that is going from an unknown location to the town of Domino. Serenity and Tristan are talking. It's a bright orange train going through this absolutely beautiful countryside, and it's very obviously Japanese countryside. You know how you go through, like, the the farmland is like the classic looking out the window of a train in Japan environment. Yeah, where in I'm the like foreground to... there's like grow they're like growing rice or other like vegetables or something, and then like there's hills in the distance covered with trees, and the train I'm is trying... on that raised, not really a platform, but that embankment. Right, right. I, I I've been trying to figure out like okay, we we've established Domino is in America, right? Because in that one season, uh, season, that one episode earlier in this season, when Ishizu lands her plane 
her Egypt airplane, uh, they say, welcome to America. But I want to know where in America this is. So it's a large city. So I'm thinking New York. Well, that doesn't fucking make sense because, well, maybe it does because Joey has a New York accent, right? But uh, doesn't Rebecca from the end of season one come from New York? Does she? She fly. They say a specific state, and I wanted to say it was New York. So it's it wouldn't make sense. She was like the regional champion for somewhere, right? And it wouldn't make sense for her to fly from New York to New York. So it's not New York. I don't think it's like Jersey, and I don't think it's Florida. But I want to say it's somewhere on the East Coast, and I'm trying to think of somewhere on the East Coast that has a big city that would look like Domino, and it's on the coast. The other thing that I'm thinking of is if Rebecca had to fly, and I'm right that in remembering that she's from New York, and I think Bandit Keith might be from New York. I think they established that. Probably. Is this on the West Coast? You think is this, this is like Seattle or somewhere? Is this Seattle or San Francisco? Hmm. It would definitely lend itself to being in like Northern California somewhere. But, like, what big coastal towns are in Northern California? I mean, I guess you'd call San Francisco Northern, kind of. Don't yeah. tell the people there that. Central. Sure. Whatever. I don't know. Maybe it would be... Well, since Domino City isn't a real place, it would have to take the place of somewhere that's just, like, doesn't have a big city in real life. And that's that's what I'm trying to think of. So, like, where on the West Coast is there space for a big city and a train and no mountains? Because that's the thing that stands out to me here is we have a pastoral, you, you know, you said it yourself, pastoral sort of landscape, this farmlands, and zero mountains in the background. It is just flat. They might as well be in Kentucky. Well, it can't be in Kentucky because they very clearly have a very large port. Cause they're right. Cause they're on a port. Is it on one of the Great Lakes? Is it not actually an ocean? <laughs> it wouldn't be like Eureka or somewhere, would it? Oh In this shit! Universe where Eureka yeah. is actually a big city. Yeah, it might be. Anyway, so we cut back to the train. Uh, Tristan and Serenity are having this conversation where Serenity's like, hey, thanks again for picking me up. I really appreciate it. Like, I'm still very nervous about this, um, but it's it's nice to have friends like you who are here to help me out. And Tristan immediately does that shitty guy thing where he's like, oh, she said friends. I just got friend zoned. <laughs> he literally <laughs> says friend zoned, which I didn't think was a word at the time this show came out. But I guess it was. I didn't either. I'm trying to... Did this... This show didn't coin friend zoned. Oh, I'm sure not, but... Uh, now I'm very zoned curious. etymology. Friend zone etymology. Here we go. Uh, it combines the words oh, friend and zone. Kind of. Origin, 1990s. Popularized by the US television comedy series... Yu-Gi-Oh! Friends. Oh, <laughs> no. No, it's from Friends. Really? Yeah, so the friends, friends invented friend zone. So the friends in friend zone are the friends of friends. Right. It's so, friends zone. Even though it's not a Joey Wheeler original, it is a Joey Tribbiani original. 
Um, yeah. So I don't know. I this is another like shitty like male thing. Like, okay, it was more acceptable to say friend zone in the two thousands. Like, whatever. Friend zoning is not a thing. Just be friends with people and like, if you want to date them, say so and then accept the consequences. <sighs> but Tristan's been friend zoned. Womp womp. I feel like that does kind of lean into his character, though, compared to his how he is in season zero. Yeah. Where he's just a big baby for Miho Chan. He he is. It's. I I think the thing is, is like he wants to be in a relationship where he does all the heavy lifting in a way. Like he wants to be that kind of person that just does whatever for a significant other. Yeah. But in this series, he hasn't found that person who like wants to take advantage of him in that way. Holy oh, shit. can you hear that? Yeah, I heard that one. Is that, a, go... is that a? That's a cat fight. Oh, it's a cat fight between one of your many cats. What the fuck are you doing? I'm sure that made some great audio right there. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, huh. <laughs> one of the cats cornered one of the other cats in the bathtub, which is why it was so loud and echoey. Ah, I see. Sort of a natural, uh, a natural, uh, yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, I'm, is everyone okay? Yeah. I chased him out of there. Okay. Boy, cats, huh? <laughs> Can't live with them. You sure can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Tristan is friends. The bastards of the animal world. <laughs> so Tristan's been friend zoned. We cut away from that. Uh, Taya is back in that warehouse room, and the door opens, and who should enter but her old pal Joey Wheeler? Uh, and she goes, "Joey, hooray! I'm saved. We can get out of here." And he doesn't respond, and doesn't respond, and doesn't respond, and finally. He looks at her and reveals that he's a mind slave now. Dun, dun, dun. He, he looks up a... and his eyes don't have pupils. Right, which is unsettling. Um, he doesn't say anything at this point, though, which is a little disappointing. He says something next episode, I think. Yeah, anyway, no. uh, we cut back to... Which is disappointing because the... I was really looking forward to having Merrick spoke through Joy in his like evil Merrick voice, but he was still because he was speaking through Joy would be forced to use a Brooklyn accent in everything. Oh yeah. <laughs> it... What would that sound like? Oh, I've God. got your pal Joey Wheeler. I'm the master now. <laughs> hey. Hey, I got some cards. I'm mind slaving here. <laughs> Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> so uh, we come back to the duel, and Loomis draws and plays Pot of Greed, uh, which allows him to draw two more cards. He then places one card face down and plays the card Card Exchange, which allows him to swap his hand with any player. And he chooses Umbra, saying, If you're not going to use your cards to help me, then I'll just take them. Uh, so he walks over to Umbra takes umbra's hand i don't think he gives his hand of cards to umbra even we though he should it. have um he then plays a card called chosen one uh, which was the card he played face down earlier uh so he places three cards face down 
what she says are, are two spell cards and a monster card. And uh, they appear in like a circle and the chooser. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little top, like on a like a speaking spell where you're like pointed at yeah. various animals and they make sounds. <laughs> Except they just call it the chooser. <laughs> so, yeah, so no, that's exactly what it is. So the chooser is set down in the middle and it starts spinning and it's going to randomly select one of the three cards. And Lumis explains this whole thing about like if it selects either of the two magic cards all three go to the graveyard. And at this point, Umbra's pissed off. He's like, hey, hang on a second. Those are my cards you're, like, getting ready to sacrifice here. Uh, and Umbra goes, but if it selects the one monster card, then I get to summon that right away. And he hints at it being a very powerful magic card, or a monster card. So, because this is how random elements in the show go, uh, the chooser selects and summons the monster card, which is revealed to be the masked beast Desgardius, who, if I had to describe in a sentence, is like if Cerberus, uh, you know, with the three heads, uh, all his heads were penises. <laughs> yeah, masked beast has become even worse somehow. It's just when you thought it couldn't get even worse, he grows like shoulder grubs, mm -hmm. each of which have their own masked face. Well, and 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 then off of the off of the headstock, uh, are these three veiny tendrils, each with a masked face on the tip. Uh, that look, it's not uh, good. It's not good. It's not good. Um, Yugi sort of mentally reminds us, the audience, of the stakes they're playing for. Like, if they lose here, they'll uh, plummet to their deaths. Their friends will die or be mind controlled. Blah blah blah. Uh, Loomis then spends for fucking ever playing eeny meeny miny mo trying to decide who Descardius is going to attack. And that is how the episode ends. Dun dun dun. To be continued. TBC. Uh, Jimmy, what was your best part from this episode? My best was the entirely different slice of life train anime that we got in the middle. Mine too! Can we get a full episode just doing that? I, if it weren't for the friend zoned thing, like that's the one and only bit that bugs me. Yeah, I but mean, don't get me wrong. The interaction scene. of Tristan and Serenity is just dumb and lame. But everything else about where they are and what they're doing is just so charming. And it's like beautifully animated. And yeah. we never get to see it again. It's like... It's out, straight out of left field. Yeah, it's like the first 30 minutes of Murder on the Orient Express, when it's yeah. just the Orient Express. It's just a just train doing that. normal train things. You know, I think if there's a market for, like, slow TV, you know, where it's, like, long videos of people knitting and chopping wood and that sort of thing, I think there would be a really big market for just boring slice-of-life anime. Yeah, no It'd real plot like, to speak of. Yeah, it's just like one, maybe two characters on a train, like inner monologuing, thinking about their lives, and like it would just be absolutely beautifully drawn, and just they just stare out the window the whole time. Just an extended version of whatever gif they play over a lo-fi hip hop and chill beats to yeah. study to. Anyway, it was really nice and surprising. Yeah, it really was. Uh, how about your, because that was my best too, uh, how about your worst? 
Uh, my worst was, I know this is a kid's show, but it was comically easy to get uh, Umbris. Uh, er, <laughs> Umbris? Umbris That's and couple Luma. <laughs> Umbra and Loomis to like start backstabbing each other. Because it was, wasn't it? Kaiba was just like, hey, what if your uh, friend there betrays you? And then just instantaneous, they're like, what if my friend did betray me? How what dare you? What? Betrayal? You're going to betray <laughs> me. You're betraying me right now. How dare you let me think that you're going to betray me? <laughs> that in itself is a betrayal. Yeah, there's like... I, I it, it is a cartoon for kids, but sure. it's just... It was a real reach seeing how quickly that happened. Yeah, it it was dramatically quick. What was your worst? It's related. It's related. My worst is that Kaiba decided that teamwork wasn't for him. Like, he's still, like, doing everything he can to not acknowledge the effort that Yugi is putting in for the both of them. And he's just like, oh, that Yugi, he's helping me win, but he's going to take the glory. <sighs> It th- that part's bad, right? But what makes it worse is that he turns uh, th- this angst into a strategy where he starts actively trying to separate Umbra and Loomis. Thereby I'm going to drag you down to my level. Right, but by doing that, he's acknowledging that teamwork is giving them an advantage. <laughs> Join me so in the no friends area. Right, he doesn't want to use teamwork, but he's not going to let anyone else use teamwork either. Forget so it won't zone. help him. You're going to get rival zoned. I guess, right? Like it just it bothers me that like okay, if you're acknowledging if you're saying that teamwork is giving someone else an advantage, why aren't you being a team with this person on your team to give yourself that same advantage? It's episodes like this that remind me that Despite Kaiba like running an entire city and a company and has all this satellite technology and shit, he's still a teenager who goes to the same school as Yugi. Right. He's still a 13-year-old dipshit or whatever. He's <laughs> 16, I think. But he's just still. a boy. <laughs> it was very Seinfeld. <laughs> he's just a boy. What's the deal with that? What's the He's deal with <laughs> What's the deal with airline food? <laughs> uh, I I'm realizing now, Jimmy, uh, that I forgot to give us our translated title and summary at the top of this episode. Oh, what is it? Because it's related to our worst. The translated title of this episode was "Unite." That's it. That's just a command <laughs> to <laughs> Yugi. It's an and admonition. Kaiba. Come on. The guys. summary says. The summary says, as Yami, Yugi, and Kaiba finally pull together a semblance of teamwork and their enemy's team spirit begins to crumble, Loomis takes things into his own hands and summons the mass beast Discardius, a monster even more powerful than Kaiba's blue eyes. Meanwhile, Taya helps Mokuba escape the rare hunters in order to get help for her and for Joey. Yep, that's what happened. That's what happened. Are you ready to talk about episode four of Double Duel? Let's end this. Okay. Uh, I'm ready, but first I'm gonna I'm gonna prepare real quick. Oh, uh, we, we had a, a little break that I'm gonna edit out, but I, I got a. What you what you got there?
I don't know how much of that came through on the mic because I had to put it down. Uh, I'm just going to pour myself some Guinness. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, Double Duel colon part four. The translated title is The Giant God Soldier of Obelisk. God mouthful. Soldier. Uh, the summary is Yugi and Kaiba finally overcome and defeat Loomis and Umbra with Valkyrion the Magna Warrior and Obelisk the Tormentor. But Merrick still has Joey and Taya. Dot, dot, dot. I mean, do we need to recap the episode anymore? That's basically it. <laughs> you know, if you, in case Double Duel Part 1, 2, 3, and 4 weren't enough for you, here's just the summary itself has like every single possible character. It really does. Like, I think the only person left out of this is Mokuba. <laughs> Yugi and Kaiba, Loomis and Umbra, Valkyrian and Magna and Obelisk, and Joey and Taya. That almost started to sound like that song where you uh, list all the states. Oh, from Animaniacs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that I don't remember. Anyway, so we start this duel. We start this duel. We start this episode back at the duel. Resuming the duel. Uh, where Loomis is trying to pick which person to attack. Jimmy, I fucking hate this scene because Loomis is just like, hmm, who should I pick? Who should I pick with my horribly powerful monster? Hmm, let me see who's wronged me. Both of them, really. Both of them, really. Um, Umbra reminds us that if uh, somebody's life points drop to zero, the glass below them shatters and they plummet to their death. I mean the shadow realm and it's going to be real bad news for whoever he attacks. Yep. I did want to point out really quick. I appreciate the effort that the voice actor put into Umbra's voice because he's like the short fat one. And so when he, no, that's Loomis. Is that Loomis? Well, I appreciate Loomis's voice. Yeah. Because he makes him sound like he's got big jowls the whole time. Mm-hmm. Especially when he talks with S's in some of his words, I can't even do it. It it, it also feels a lot like he's like shoving uh, his face into a mask that it's too small. Kind of, yeah. Like I think that's part of it. He's just kind of shoving his mouth off. You just kind of have to go like this when you talk in Loomis's voice. It's like if Nixon were more animated. Aru. <laughs> I am not a duelist. <laughs> Um, you can tell how much fun the voice actors have in shows like this. It does seem like a lot of fun. Like this is one of those roles where I really I hope that Loomis and Umbro were able to be in the same room just to like, off riff each off other. each other a little bit. Yeah. Uh so Loomis decides to choose Yugi to attack, but Umbro wants a say in the matter, even though it's not his monster. He's like, hey, Umbra we're on thinks, a team. I, I have a voice. I have a yeah. vote. Umbra thinks that he should attack Blue Eyes because Blue Eyes is a powerful monster and he doesn't want to like leave that on the field. But Loomis wants to completely destroy Yugi and send this child's fragile body to hell. Um, Loomis decides to have uh, Discardius attack Blue Eyes instead, sort of succumbing to... Or no, pardon me, because... <laughs> <laughs> if hearing from his team that he should attack Blue Eyes is not enough, Kaiba chimes in oh, yeah. and calls Loomis a fucking coward for not having the cojones <laughs> to attack Blue Eyes. He goes, he goes something along the lines of, you don't want to attack Blue Eyes because your monster can't handle it. 
And he's like, which how is, dare you? Like, it's a card game, dude. Like, his, like, Desgardius can't, like, nut up to face <laughs> Blue Eyes. Either he can beat Blue Eyes or he can't. Like, there's no, you, you know, you know what yeah. I'm trying to say? Like, there's no psyching yourself up to be a card. Desgardius is not going to get a training montage. He's not hitting the gym in between bouts. <laughs> what would that even look like, though? Like, he does the whole Rocky thing where he's, like, going up the staircase. Tyler, and then there's you know just a scene be? of him in a freezer punching things that look just like him. You know what it would look like, Tyler? I'm sorry. Okay, I'm not sorry to put this imagery in your head. He'd be doing the thing where he's, like, running up the stairs, except his three giant penis heads would be, like, bobbling. <laughs> oh, God, step. why did I take a drink while you were explaining that? No, oh, I hate it. Oh, I hate it. It's like um, it's like that that YouTube video um, oh, what's it called? Like going to the store yes, or like a walk to, to the, the store. store where it's the floppy guy <laughs> doing a dance the whole way. Oh, the physics are all completely broken. He just ragdolling. Oh, so bad. Um. Okay. So <laughs> where are we at? So okay. So Kaiba calls Loomis a coward. Loomis is like, well. Why I oughta uh, and and has <laughs> Dis- <laughs> has Discardius attack Blue Eyes, destroying Blue Eyes White Dragon. Kaiba does not flinch. All he says is, and this is the first of two strange interactions between Kaiba and Yugi. Kaiba goes, "Destroy them, Yugi," and Yugi deadass looks Kaiba straight in the fucking eye and says, "Yes." <laughs> destroy them yugi yes (laughs) not even just like okay he's like yeah 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 yes that is yes uh yugi's turn arrives uh and uh yugi loses another thousand life points because of the the masks that i described earlier on this episode bringing him to a total of 500 life points which is low uh yugi draws and uh, pulls one of his cards, and he goes to play what he insinuates to be a powerful monster. Loomis and Numbers stop him, reminding him that he can't sacrifice monsters, which is how you typically get a, a strong monster. Uh, but Yugi explains, no, no, that's not what this is. I'm going to play a powerful monster without sacrificing how you like them apples. He plays Gamma the Magnet Warrior. Remember, Beta and Alpha are already out on the field. So Our good friends. Gamma the Magnet Warrior. And all of them, now that they're out on the field, uh, Autobot roll out and combine to make Omnicron. Uh, and the form the head. <laughs> right, they Voltron together. Uh, and the three of them transform into Valkyrion the Magna Warrior. Hell yeah. Apparently, they needed to drop the actual word magnet from the name. <laughs> if you combine three magnets, you get a magna. It's like magnemite. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Valkyrian the Magna Warrior. And it's like, hey, that's not a new Pokemon. That's just three Pokemon glued together. <laughs> oh, this isn't God. a new monster. This is just three monsters glued together. There was a uh, there not not to reference another podcast, but you know they they exist. Um, really, for fans that they do they do. We're not the only one, Jimmy. 
we may be the only one recapping episodes of Yu-Gi-Oh for some dumbass reason, but we're not the only podcast out there. Uh, there's a podcast that is now a Spotify exclusive, I believe, but it's called The Besties. And it's done by uh, two of the McElroy brothers, Justin and Griffin McElroy, and two of the writers or editors from Polygon. And they used to do it when they all worked at Polygon, and it was a thing where every week they would review the best games of the week, and then it became monthly, and then it became yearly, and then it dropped off the face of the planet, and it just got picked up by Spotify. So I'm very excited. Oh, I'd never even heard of it somehow. Okay, well, go go look it up. The Besties, it's on Spotify. I think they have some episodes up on other podcasters, but uh, they did Ugh. an episode about Pokemon Sword and Shield. And at the end of the episode, they were like, which Pokemon is the worst? <laughs> and Justin brought up a very good point, and it's Diglett. <laughs> and, oh, your cats are fighting again. Speaking of Pokemon... <sighs> There he goes. Hello, welcome back. <laughs> Hello. Really sorry about that. No, my okay. cats has been doing this thing. Well, it's not my cats. I really want to make that clear. These are my roommate's cats. <laughs> right. And one of these them cats. Is... These cats are not your blood relatives. <laughs> these cats are also my roommates. Um, but one of them has been doing this targeted pattern of harassment against one of those smaller cats, where all he has to do is like do the bully thing, where he's like. And just, like, stare at her from across the room. I'm not touching you. Yeah, exactly. I'm not touching you. And she'll just, like, scream bloody murder and flip out. Jesus. (laughs) Cats are assholes. They are assholes. Why do I live with so many cats? I I don't know, Jimmy. I know. He misses you. Uh, Anyway, so in in the podcast, The Besties, Justin McElroy describes that Diglett is the worst Pokemon because when it evolves, it becomes Doug Trio. And goddamn, that's not an evolution. That's just, it grabbed two of its friends, and now they're one thing. And he can't decide, is it three separate Pokemon that decided to live in some sort of triumvirate, or is it three bodies that have now merged to have one soul? <laughs> it's kind and of that's horrifying. Just, that's just too much to think about. Anyway, so that's what's happened here with the Magnet Warriors. They've combined to become Valkyrion the Magna Warrior, uh, which is powerful it's pretty cool i guess and now this is a cue apparently for kaiba to make an impassioned speech about how he's been waiting for so long to defeat these jerks and he's so excited to get revenge on the people that crossed the kaiba family and nobody threatens his brother without going through me and he continues to go on to the point where he's basically just filibustering yeah and he's like out for revenge for his blue eyes which, A, it's a card game, buddy. B, you just lost it one turn ago. Yeah. C, you have two more. D, also, they kidnapped your brother. Yeah. <laughs> I think takes maybe priorities. your priorities are skewed. And he just starts... So, he's actually being verbally abusive now to Yugi and to pretty much everyone. Yeah, he's, you know, he's sick of having to wait for this fucking idiot to play a card so that that fucking idiot can play a card. And he just, he just wants the fucking idiots to just, just get everything the fuck together so that he can beat everybody because he's the chosen one, blah, 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 blah. And like, what are you waiting for, Yugi? Just kill them right now. What are you waiting for? Do it. Pull the trigger. Do it. Do it. Do it. Pull the trigger. I dare you. Do it. Uh, And Yugi is pausing, actually. He's taking this moment to think. 
why don't Loomis and Umbra look worried? Because he's looking at them, he's got them dead to rights, his monster's more powerful than their monster, but they don't look scared. Why is that? And Kaiba's like, you have his line here. Yeah, he, he literally goes, what are you waiting for? I gave up my blue eyes for you! <sighs> Which is just a fucking dick move. Uh, Yugi stops, and he just plays a card face down. And he does a fucking Yoda line here. He goes, anger will only cloud your reason, Kaiba. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you know, he, he sort of does the whole uh, uh, trust. Heart of the cards, trust you must. Um, and uh, Kaiba is, you know, still being a dick. He's like, oh, heart of the cards, who needs it? Blah, blah, blah. Kaiba just wants to play Obelisk the Tormentor, but he would have to sacrifice monsters to play it, so he can't. So he's got, I don't know, the duelist equivalent of blue balls at this point. Like, it's burning a hole in his pocket. Uh, He remembers, during this whole tantrum that he's throwing, that he has a card that can help, but it would only work if Yugi gives up his monster. And so he thinks, well... I don't want to have to rely on Yugi, but he considers it kind of a fair trade, considering his sacrifice of blue eyes, uh, so on and so forth. He calms down. He wipes the tears from his eyes, the blood from his nose. He straightens his jacket and he says, Yugi, we can win. And this is the second of two strange interactions between Yugi and Kaiba. He says, Yugi, we can win. And Yugi turns to him, looks him dead in the motherfucking eye, and says, Right. <laughs> in the That's British it. That's way. the whole conversation. He says, Right. And slaps his knee right. and gets up. <laughs> you fucking what, mate? <laughs> you want a Glasgow kiss? <laughs> I'll wreck uh, you, swear on me, mum. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so Valkyrian, then, uh, Yugi has Valkyrian attack Discardius, which activates Discardius's special ability. When Discardius is sent to the graveyard, it leaves behind three masks that can form a more powerful mask together. I uh, could make mask... so many Bionicle jokes, but I, I won't. It's I... too on the nose, Thank even you. for me. I know. <laughs> I appreciate that. Jimmy, I appreciate your sacrifice. Um, much like the sacrifice of Descardius leads to the leaving behind of three masks, a form of more powerful mask called the Mask of Remnants, which can, uh, I guess, is, isn't a monster anymore, but it's like a spell. Yeah. It can control one of Yugi's monsters as though it were one of Loomis's monsters. So the mask then uh, latches onto Valkyrian, brings it over to Loomis's side. It's pretty gross uh, looking, too. It's, it's like three masks merged together. And um, I don't know if you ever read uh, Star Slip, but there's a storyline where the mm-hmm. museum gets an exhibit of masks for the just to put on the walls. And one is a horribly dripping like mutant skull with like another skull meshed inside it. And um, oh. the instructions state that it must be placed on a wall across from the museum curator's bed at night. <laughs> oh, dear. And that's exactly what this thing looks like. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All of the masks all of the masks are just upsetting. 
this deck does not have a single appealing mask. They're not good-looking masks. These are horrifying masks. These are and Halloween even masks. A, there's even a card, and this is actually the card that Umber plays next. He plays a card called Masquerade. Yeah, okay, which you would we think, get it. Oh, like, like a Masquerade mask. That's nice. No, it doesn't <laughs> even have a Masquerade mask on it. It's just like people dancing or whatnot. But that allows Umbra to also control Valkyrian. So... Umbra controls Valkyrian. He has it attack Yugi directly, at which point Yugi reveals, aha, the Diffusion card, which splits apart Valkyrian into its component pieces and destroys the Mask of Remnants. All right, I tried, but, you know, splitting one being into three components... Okay, okay, okay. okay. Is this Bionicle talk? Yes. Okay, go on. Splitting one being into three component beings is exactly what happens to the Toa Kaita at the end of the Matanui online game when they enter Makuta's lair and Makuta's aura of just, like, destruction is so powerful that it rips them apart and they have to become the regular Toa again and work together. Instead the Father, of... the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> that was Bionicle Minute with Jimmy. Uh... <laughs> so... Uh, okay, so now we have the the component magnet warrior pieces. Kaiba reveals that he has a card called Soul Exchange, which allows him to sacrifice them in order to summon Obelisk the Tormentor, but without calling it a sacrifice, so he's allowed to do it, right? He's getting around that spell from earlier. But the way he fucking announces this is just the worst <laughs> shit. He says in what can only be described as Kaiba's sexy Batman voice, Behold my Egyptian god card. <laughs> he has been waiting for too long, just straining to release this card. I joked about Kaiba having blue balls, but like, he wants to fuck this card. <laughs> he wants to fuck this giant blue man. Behold my Egyptian god card. This giant ripped buff monster so he summons obelisk the tormentor it's our boy it's our boy uh we get a whole big thing of obelisk the tormentor rising from the ground this is absolutely rad as hell this the music changes to this fucking operatic chorus music just out of nowhere as obelisk rises and like fills the entire space they're in and just kind of rises slowly from the ground and there's like fire and lightning exploding everywhere um it's the music is one step short of the Duel of the Fates. Yeah. From Phantom Menace. Just chanting. And Obelisk yeah. is like, his wings like come out one after another. And it's like a uh, night on Bald Mountain from Fantasia. He's yes. like here to fuck shit up. Yeah, that's exact. That's actually, that is exactly what this is. Like that's, it's the, it's the giant. What's the name of that monster? Chernabog. Chernabog. It's Chernabog rising from the mountain, right? It's literally uh, the devil. <laughs> It's it's so good. Uh, and then Obelisk the Tormentor just uh, punches he falcon Umbra. He punches Umbra he, into absolute he, oblivion. It, it, straight down into the glass. <laughs> and at which point, like, I have to, again, really just wonder about the physics involved here. Because the force is such that Umbra is knocked flat. But the glass does not break. So there is some physical force but not that much physical force, but also enough to fry that computer earlier. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. It's like so, in slow motion. He's like punching, but he's like 
doing it actually in slow motion. So he hits Umbra and he's just like, eh. <laughs> yeah, he gets slowly squished. Yeah, it's like a car sized fist just kind of like bapping him in the top of the head. Right. Uh, and we get a great scene of, of Umbra on the ground. He looks back at his life force counter behind him as it slowly ticks down from whatever it was at to zero. And he goes, oh, no, when it reaches zero, uh, the glass will shatter and I'll be plunged into the shadow realm, like reminding us all what's at stake here, blah, blah, blah. Loomis goes, oh, no. Uh, and we see it tick down to zero and the glass shatters with this like orange glow, I guess. Magic glass. Magic glass. Ooh. Protects you from the shadow realm. I guess. And he falls down into the building through the glass. Oh, he's dead. Bye. He's dead. See you later. Except no wait. He pulls a ripcord from his robes and reveals that he had a parachute on him this whole fucking time. <laughs> Just tucked into his cult robes. Which, okay, I have to ask at this point, because he gets pretty far down into the building, right? Like, he pulls the parachute, the parachute pops out, and he gets caught on this, like, sign. Yeah, it's classic, like, slapstick comedy where someone is falling out of a plane and then their parachute gets stuck on something and they're just stuck dangling there. Right, right. It's exactly that. And it 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 makes me wonder how far down is this supposed portal to the shadow realm or whatever bullshit they came up with that a parachute still saves you from it. Just base jumping into the shadow realm. Right. Is is it because when they when they first explain this concept, I don't know about you, but I was picturing that it would be like maybe halfway up the building is this yeah. portal, right? Just sort of in midair. There's nowhere gets, else for it to be. Right, but he gets below halfway down the building. Yeah, he's easily like three quarters of the way down this building. Is this just a portal on the ground? <laughs> it, Are there people absentmindedly walking into the Shadow Realm every time they walk into the lobby? It's like in um, Super Mario 64, where like if you like purposefully jump into it, there's that like water effect. Yeah. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Big bob <laughs> in the Shadow Realm. Yeah, I don't know where it would be. There's that, that um, there's like a fountain at the bottom of the shaft. Do you oh, have to like fountain? hit the fountain? Is it like right over the fountain? Are we are we playing by uh, by Back to the Future rules? Do you have to be hit going the fountain at a certain terminal speed. velocity? Yeah, is it like <laughs> or like Men in Black Three, where you to to use the the time device, the time machine, you have to be going right. at a certain speed. God, Men in Black 3. Jesus. That film <laughs> happened. Uh, anyway, that part bugged me. But So he pulls the parachute. Yeah, again, Umbra's the freaking uh, fake imaginary uh, censorship they had to do for this episode so they don't just splatter on the ground just raises more questions than it answers. Right. Completely unfucking necessary, right? Because he's fine now. Totally fine. There was actually no danger for him. Yeah. So at this point, Yugi turns to Loomis and is like, all right, hey, look, like, we don't need to go any further. You can just surrender. Like, we can end this. Nobody needs to fall through any more plate glass tonight. We're good. But Kaiba is fucking out for blood. He's, he's pulling that move from earlier. Where he's like, no, do it. Do it. Kill him. Yeah. Uh. Full dark side. Full He wants his revenge. Dark siding. He, actually, his ultimate revenge, as he puts it. Because, you know, 
one card game equals one kidnapping of your family member. <laughs> right. <laughs> he you wants know, this guy, and Yugi's like, no, dude, we have to keep this guy, we have to let this dude surrender so he can tell us where your brother is and where my friends are. And Kaiba literally just wants to see this guy splatter a thousand feet below. Which is... <sighs> Okay, fine, like, whatever, like, be out for revenge, fine, that can be your character trait. But, as Yugi points out, like, no, if we kill him, he can't tell us where your brother is, you dumbass. Yeah, find out where your brother is and then kill him if you have to. Right. So, they walk over, uh, and, uh, oh no, pardon me, they don't walk over just yet, but Merrick intervenes at this point, takes control of Loomis. Assuming direct control. Right. Uh, which I don't know why, why didn't he do this sooner is, is my first question. Like if he had known, okay, Hey, this isn't looking good for my boys, Loomis and Umbra. Maybe I should step in and be the better duelist here. He could have done that. He could have, but he didn't give a shit. I guess. Uh, so Merrick through Loomis says that he's been studying each of their decks through the eyes of his rare hunters. And I guess not through the, Kaiba Corp database he's already hacked into for some reason uh, and that he has reveal he reveals here that he has mind controlled both Joey and Taya dun 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 and Kaiba's so and Yugi's like oh, no damn, and Kaiba's like what's going on this what's this guy doing <laughs> and he's like he's mind controlling my friends and this guy and then Kaiba the guy who has had his mind broken using magic before says idiot there's no such thing as magic <laughs> Yeah, Kaiba, Kaiba has witnessed so much magic. Yeah. <laughs> that he is he is just unwilling to recognize. Nope, it's not real. Uh, Yugi calls Merrick a coward. Merrick makes the valid point that mind control is more fun than direct confrontation. Um, so, yeah, why would I go know, and finally picking up duel on you guys myself when I can just do this? Check this out. <laughs> Look what I can make this guy do. Do, 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 do. Got no strings to hold me down. Uh, and uh, he, he sort of points out, that like, hey, I'm holding all the cards here, pun intended, uh, and uh, I can defeat uh, both of you whenever I want. Ta-da! Yeah, and we get a shot of Merrick doing his whole spiel back at the warehouse uh, with, like, mind-controlled Joey and Taya just, like, standing blankly behind him. And I imagine for yeah. Merrick's guards, when he does the mind projection thing, it's like only hearing one end of a phone call. Except he's just yeah, like huh. acting out what he's making the mind puppet do, but just like just talking to himself in the air. Yeah, I, you know, you really hope that it's obvious when he's mind controlling somebody, right? Because otherwise he'll just randomly say some shit and you'll be like, oh, were you talking to, were you talking to me? Is it? <laughs> I didn't betray you. What are you talking about? You, you're not my friends kidnapped. What? Did you kidnap my friends? Like, what? I'm not talking to you. Hold on. My cultist <laughs> sorry, is going sorry. through a tunnel. Po- points to the AirPod in his ear. <laughs> oh, God. He's got mind slaves in. He can't hear us. Uh, Yeah. So that happens. Uh, Kaiba. Oh, yeah. This is the thing. This is the thing that I am still kind of baffled by. So Kaiba hears that it's mind control, walks over to Loomis, picks him up by the fucking lapels, and screams at him, demanding that he tells him where Mokuba is. 
Loomis just laughs and passes out because he's being mind controlled. Yeah. Like, what are you going to physical interaction does nothing here. <laughs> he hangs he up the up. call. <laughs> I want to point out Kaiba and Yugi and Loomis are all now standing on the same square of glass. And I was yep. expecting them to do something with that. And they don't. No. And I don't like to, at what point does the duel end? Yeah, it doesn't really. There's no clear really. end to the duel here. There's a point where, you know, they're they're starting to to walk away. But then Kaiba goes, uh, you know, first things first, I'm the realist. Uh no, Kaiba goes first things first and digs through Loomis's pockets and pulls out two locator cards because apparently Loomis had both his and Umbra's locator cards for some fucking reason. He gives one to Yugi uh, and says that now they both have a spot in the finals. So there's one good thing. Two questions. Did Kaiba win all his cards in the tournament or did he just like print some more because he's a tournament organizer? That's a great question. Like you said, this is the first duel we've seen him in. Yeah. Also, why does he need locator cards in the first place when he's running the whole thing and would know where the finals are being held? Pardon me, it is actually the second duel we've seen him in because there was that time where he absolutely crushed a 12-year-old with Obelisk the Tormentor. <laughs> I forgot about that. Just annihilating a child with Egyptian gods. But yeah, what the fuck? Where did he get these other locator cards? Is he just printing them? Who knows? Why does he need them? Who, Why does he Who's running them? them? Mokuba? I guess? Is he keeping himself in the dark about where... What's going on with the locator cards, just so it's more fun for him? Anyway, he's participating in his own uh, game. Yeah. His own tournament. So, anyway. Do you want to get to this uh, next oh, part? <laughs> but the, no, sorry, just real quick. The other thing that I noticed was he doesn't take their rare cards. Oh, yeah, so he does That's the other thing you get, is, is the rarest card of the loser. But... Uh, Umbra's 20 stories down and Loomis I guess doesn't have any rare cards <laughs> that are like worthwhile I guess he just Question doesn't mark? give a shit so Kaiba with his priorities in check uh, gets all that taken care of realizes alright cool we're set for the finals thumbs up uh, and who should appear in a fucking helicopter but his little brother Mokuba. Yeah, the uh, helicopter is hovering over them, and Yugi's like, "Is this one of your helicopters, Kaiba?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because what and what happened to that helicopter that just kidnapped Mokuba? Where'd that thing go? Get your shit together, Kaiba. Yeah, and um, huh? How did how did Mokuba get to a helicopter that quickly? Do they just have some in storage? Did he call? That fancy Uber for helicopters, except it's all Kaiba Corp. He probably has the pilot on speed dial. Wait, does he have a cell phone? He should. No, they took all his shit. He like couldn't call Seto before. He ran all the way to Kaiba Corp HQ and got a helicopter. Uh, All right. I mean, okay. Nothing's impossible for the Battle City Commissioner. Uh, so, so, okay, so he shows up in the helicopter, and he does the whole get to the choppa, and, Get to uh, choppa now. They, they get in. They do Yugi get to the asks, choppa. 
Yugi asks about his friends. Uh, Mokuba explains that he doesn't know where Tristan and Joey are, but Teo was fine when he left, so that gives Yugi a bit of hope. I don't know. She was fine when I saw her. Uh, and we cut to another inexplicable train scene. Oh, boy. Jimmy, this scene also fucks me up about this train. Just in case you thought this was Japan and not America, uh, the train pulls into the station and the announcer says, Welcome to Jefferson Station. Right. <laughs> so this is apparently, there are multiple stations between the hospital and the the city. This isn't the Domino Express. Again, begging the question of how the fuck did Joey walk to the hospital that one time? Uh, and it stops long enough such that Tristan hops off the train, goes into the station, stops at a shop that sells food, and says, I'll have one food, please. <laughs> and she's like, what do you want? And, and he's like, one of everything. And buys one of everything apparently and brings it all back in boxes for serenity how fucking long did this train stop for jimmy (laughs) yeah trains don't stop that long trains stop long enough for people to get off permanently or get on for a time if you get off the train at a stop you are not getting back on that same stop yeah this is especially in japan where they have very strict time schedules and, and in the States, you wouldn't be able to get food. They just don't do that. It'd be like a vending machine. Right. So uh, he's getting the food. The train starts to take off. And Serenity, there's a really good shot, actually, of Serenity in the train as it starts to leave the station going, oh, shit, Tristan didn't get back on the train, did he? <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. Oh, oh, shit. I'm trapped on the train. I can't see. I don't know where we're going. <laughs> Uh, I don't know anyone here. I'm all alone. And surprise, he did actually make it back onto the train. He's carrying like 12 bento boxes. Yeah. I think these are, let's have a brief aside here. These are very clearly bento boxes. Clearly. And Tristan walks up and is like, hey, Serenity, do you want this cheeseburger? (laughs) I think I know where they're located now, Tyler. Okay. They're located in the same place as Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. They are in Japanifornia. <laughs> oh, shit. I think you're... Oh, you know what? Yeah, J- Japanifornia or um, what's the town from uh, Big Hero 6? Oh, uh, San Francisco. Yeah, they're in San Francisco. <laughs> but it's the same um, problem they have in the translation where they... American audiences aren't going to know what the hell a bento box is. And so they just translate things that are obviously like ramen into like, oh, I love burgers. Right. That, right. that famous uh... um, comic from Awkward Zombie where it's like, eat your hamburgers, Apollo. And he's got like a big sushi roll. I'm not familiar with that one, but I believe you. Just obviously Japanese food being treated as though it's like cheeseburgers and burritos supreme. Right, right. Oh, he does say Burrito Supreme, doesn't he? Or Burrito something. I think it's Burrito Supreme. Uh, but there's, like, you but can you clearly see... see chopsticks like sticking out the side of the box. <laughs> right. I was about to say, you don't see any of the food, but then I remembered you do actually see the chopsticks. Uh, the, we do sort of a fade, and uh, we cut to later on where Tristan has eaten like eight boxes of food, and Serenity's still working through her first. Yeah, he's gone like uh, full Harry Potter on the train. 
and they're they're just you know shooting the shit and they're being friends and um again jesus how long is this train ride uh serenity sort of again explains her fears about like hey what happens if i take off my bandages and i'm still blind what happens if like something went wrong um what if something goes wrong with joey's duels blah 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 and tristan does the whole you know george michael routine you just gotta have faith yeah just gotta have faith 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 it's literally just a friendship speech again where it's like all right you might you might be afraid of what's going on in your life but just trust joey and support joey and then joey no matter what happens joey will also like trust and support you yeah, it's it's Don't believe everything... in yourself. Believe in the me who believes in you. <laughs> I was about to say it's it's Gurren Lagan, just you know, twelve years earlier or whatever, six years earlier. Uh, yeah, and it's um, it's fine, but it's like you know what? We've heard this speech so long, yeah, so many times, and like it is lost in luster. Sick. I know that the train scene is my favorite part of last episode, but I'm kind of just sick of it now. Well, it's just not good writing. I like everything involved with the train scene, but everything with Tristan interacting with Serenity is just kind of blah. Yeah. Uh, we cut back very briefly, back to the Chapa, uh, where Kaiba receives a radio transmission saying that they have located uh, uh, where Joey and Taya are, based on, on Mokuba's recollection, uh, and that they're about a 15-minute helicopter ride away. So... 15 minutes by helicopter, but apparently 30 seconds for tiny Mokuba feet. <laughs> Gotta go fast. Gotta go fast. That's why his hair looks uh, like that. So we end the episode on Yugi looking seriously out of the, the window. There's a great thinking, shot with the three of them crammed in the back of the helicopter. Like on it's, a road it's trip. It's comical. And Yugi is just like looking out the window, feeling bad about his friends. And then the end of the episode is literally just like a panning matte painting as a helicopter flies into the distance. And that's it. That's the end of the episode. Yeah. Sorry, I was just texting Lauren. She is, her bus was delayed coming home from a, she went to a Christmas party tonight. So uh, I don't think we'll be able to do Yugi or not tonight. Oh, no. But Jimmy, before... Before we get to that point, I do want to ask you what your best part of this episode was. My best part of this episode had to have been the rise of Obelisk the Tormentor. And then we've seen how powerful these Egyptian god cards are before. But this is the first time we've really seen how powerful they are. And like, this is the first time they've been respected for how powerful they are. Because we've seen Obelisk rise before and it's like, kaboom, here's Obelisk. And he like insta-punches right. someone and wins. But there's, like, all the build-up and, like, the singing of the chorus and, like, all the lightning and stuff as he, like, rises slowly out of the ground that respects how powerful these Egyptian god cards are supposed to be. It's yeah, rad as I mean, hell. I think, I think we got a good moment with Slifer when, like, the storm rolled in and all that shit. Yeah. Like, that was pretty cool. But, no, I agree. I, I think Obelisk has kind of had, like, a couple of good moments, but nothing really, like epic yeah this is like a game winning card an actual and also an actual like egyptian monster from ancient times where even just like the image of this creature is enough to like cause actual storms and power and shit yeah this is a trapped god 
that Kaiba is using to punch some guy. <laughs> What's that line from Aladdin? Where he's like, infinite power! Yeah, that's obelisk for you. It was pretty yeah. rad to see him at, at his full power and have the show kind of respect how powerful he's supposed to be. What was your best? My My best... I'm going to admit, I struggled with this one. I was trying to remember anything that I liked from this episode. <laughs> um, my best ended up being actually, there was a gameplay moment that I really appreciated where Yugi plays Valkyrion and then attacks specifically to lure Loomis into a mind control trap. Yugi, like three, Yugi and Kaiba both, like 360 no scope predict this card, right? Where they're like, okay, if I attack, I bet you there's going to be some bullshittery here. And plays Valkyrian, Loomis mind controls it, tries to attack back, and Yugi goes, psych! Enjoy your weak ass monsters, fool! Actually, I'm going to turn my giant monster that you just stole into three tiny monsters so we can kick and your then- ass. And then Kaiba swoops and is actually like, no, actually, hang on. Those three monsters' asses are mine, and I'm going to summon this god card. <laughs> like, that part was pretty it good. It was a pretty it, good it's, combo. It's sort of, like, in line with what you're saying, you know, paying the the card kind of the respect that it, de- it deserves. I like these cards where you have to do something kind of complex and, like, do a little bit of fuckery to get this yeah. card onto the you field. You have to set up a combo and then enact that combo to, like pay homage to this card so it can come out right yeah and like and the whole like sacrifice metaphor is fine you know if, if you just want to play it straight that way that's that's whatever but doing it this way is so much more rewarding yeah like for tv to trick your enemies into like giving you the monsters to sacrifice yeah pretty good how about your worst is your worst the cats fighting? My worst is the cats who are fighting each other throughout this recording. <laughs> watch, watch! Up. I edit, I edit this, and none of that, none of that comes through. I sure hope so. It's not. Good. No, I, I. If I can hear it, then it'll come through a little bit. But we'll, it'll be. No, it'll my be worst is this is a kids' show. If they really wanted to up the stakes, as they should, they should have just let Umbra die. Falling from a great height is how literally every Disney villain dies. That's true. That's a good point. It would not be out of place on a kid's show. Just don't no, show it. you're right. Yeah, just don't show the, the impact. Yeah. That would actually That's up the stakes really to have point. some actual um, danger involved and not just give him a free get out of infinite torment free card with his little parachute. Let that boy splatter. <laughs> splatter that boy splatter, splatter that, that boy. boy uh yeah no i i really agree and i i don't think that the censorship was at all necessary no and maybe it wasn't even censorship right like maybe the maybe the whole shadow realm thing was in there from the beginning i don't think it was just given what we know about the show i i don't think there needed to be any reference to the shadow realm at this point just let it be good old-fashioned murder yeah well, the same thing was with the um, the dark energy discs. Like, mm-hmm. you can have imaginary buzz saws just as a threat to cutting off someone's arms and legs and whatever. Kids can handle that. Kids are gross and nasty. They'll come up with even worse stuff. 
So it's not like you're like irreparably harming children to have <laughs> an imaginary character like plummet to his doom because that's in like every single movie. They've already seen this on Disney Plus. <laughs> right. Coming to you now on Disney Plus, every death scene. <laughs> There's a literally a, Watch a famous beautifully animated kids film about a woman who wants to take a hundred dogs and skin them alive to make a nice coat. So yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to think now. Like all the all the falling to their death. Mufasa. Mufasa. Um, there's the the hunter guy in um, Tarzan. Um, oh yeah. Um, Clayton. I wanted to say Krang. Clayton. <laughs> Krang. <laughs> Clayton. Um, Gaston. Oh yeah, Gaston. Um. Yeah, it's not. How does Jafar? Die? No, Jafar, Jafar becomes an he evil becomes genie. genie, and then is trapped forever in a in the the lamp. Right. Now I'm trying to think of other Disney villains, and I'm. It's, how does Ursula die? Does Ursula die? She gets stabbed by the ship, doesn't she? She turns into a. That's kraken. right. Yeah. I'm just gonna Google Disney falling deaths. Oh, great. <laughs> it's cool. its own trope on TV tropes. Disney villain death. Oh, great. Okay, what do we got? We got a list? Oh, yeah. Uh, Disney examples. Uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh, the Queen. Okay. Um, uh-huh. There's a, Oh, now it's going into, like, deep Disney lore. Like, original, like, cartoons from the 30s and shit. Oh, Okay. Uh, there's a witch that gets trapped in a form of a gas can and falls off a cliff. Um, gets trapped in a form of a gas can? It's a Donald Duck comic called The Golden Christmas Tree, where Donald and nephews can encounter an evil shape-shifting witch. Donald manages to trap her in the form of a gas can and kicks her off a cliff during one of his ter- trademark tantrums. Huh, okay. Huh. Uh, Maleficent. Oh, all right. Turns into a dragon and falls off a cliff. Uh, the bad okay, guys yeah. in 101 Dalmatians, they don't die, but they also fall off a cliff. There's a lot of cliffs. Right. There's a lot of cliffs. Yeah. You know, it, growing up, there were a few things that I thought I would have to worry a lot more about in my adulthood than I actually do. Number one, Bermuda Triangle. Oh, yeah. I thought that that show would be a real menace in my life. <laughs> Nope, never once been an issue. Oh yeah, oh you're, oh you're taking a cruise. Watch out for the Bermuda Triangle. Don't go through there. Right. Ask your captain Don't if he plans there. on going through the Bermuda Triangle. Don't go there. People seem to want to go there a lot. Don't go there. Number two, cliffs. I've always been scared of cliffs. I don't like them. Not a whole lot of cliffs. Never once has a cliff been an issue in my life. Uh, quicksand, obviously the quicksand. Classic. It's like a, witches curses. Oh yeah, witches well, curses. That's, that's been kind of an issue, but that's unrelated. Um, other horrible things. Let's see. Time travel. No. <laughs> um. Anyway. Oh, uh, 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 oaths of vengeance. Oh yeah, revenge. 
Yeah, I thought that revenge was going to play a much larger factor in my life than it is currently. Maybe I just haven't waited long enough. Maybe you need a good I'm nemesis. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't really have any nemeses. Uh, burglars breaking into your house, so you have to outwit them. Yes, home alone situations. I thought that that was going to be much more prevalent. Anyway, just let Umbra die is the point I was making. Just let Umbra fucking die. My worst is similar. Kind of. My worst is actually the inverse of your best. Do you remember the first time that Kaiba and Yugi faced Loomis and Umbra? I sure do. And you remember that bonkers first turn that Kaiba had where he summons all three of his blue eyes and a fourth dragon and the Lord of D and like all this bullshit and summons uh, Obelisk the Tormentor on fucking turn two? Yeah. Why? Why couldn't he have done that this time? <laughs> there is so much he could have done. I guess like the real answer is because of some of the mask that doesn't let you sacrifice monsters or whatever. But didn't Kaiba have a turn before that? Yeah. Yeah. It took an awfully long time for him to summon Obelisk when he just did it instantly last time. What what the fuck, the, Kaiba? The rules of the uh this is firmly within the bullshit rules sort of area which we haven't been doing. We haven't been graphing our, oh my God. our episodes. Oh, you're right. Jimmy, I'm so I'm so sorry. I completely forgot. Yeah, let's okay, let's get into this real quick. I'm going to pull up the chart here. I made us a spreadsheet for this and I completely forgot. I'm excited. Uh, okay, let me let me get For to reference, it here. a few episodes ago, I posited that every single Yu-Gi-Oh! episode could be plotted on a graph with two axes. One with actual story at the other end of that dumb bullshit. And the other axis being actual card game rules and dumb bullshit. <laughs> now, Jimmy, I think I've shared this spreadsheet with you. I don't know I if you've you opened have. it yet. Um, but I made a spreadsheet of this where we can plot each episode on a scale of negative five to five for each axis. Um, double duel. Let's let's just do. Let's. I have all all four parts as one episode here in the season two panel. Uh, from negative five. The, I think you, I know I've seen this before, but where did it go? What's it called? Uh, let me see if I can. Let me see if I can just email it to you again. It's just called Yu-Gi-Oh episode chart. I'm scrolling through all my out... Google Docs, and it's just all the um things I used to write for jobs I was applying to. All the cover letters. Oh. <laughs> Okay, check your email. You should get a new a new email with the with the link. Uh, for the listeners, I'm I'm working on some charts here. I charting this has been difficult in Google Sheets, but I'm I'm getting there. Um, so we have two axes: one for plot and another for mechanics, ranging from negative uh, five being the the most bullshit to five being the most either relevant or sort of true to life. Yeah. So for plot, I am actually going to give double duel. Ooh, something like a, 
Okay, if I'm thinking plot. Are we doing right, this for all four episodes as a whole? All at okay. once, yeah. So if I'm thinking just plot relevance, there's some stuff that goes on in the background that's very plot relevant. Like I'm thinking like the stuff with Taya and with Joey yeah. and with Mokuba the mind and control the mind control. Stuff. But that's not the main crux of this episode. Like you don't really need to watch this episode to get that no. that's a thing that happened. Or any any of these four episodes, I should say. So I'm going to give it a two. That's exactly I what I was thinking. Five. Oh, all right. Right, right in okay. that same area there. Because it's not not relevant, but it's not the most relevant. Yeah. You don't need to watch Double Duel to get what's going on. Now, mechanics-wise, where where are we thinking? There were, just from the all the masks and their various effects, I feel like this actually, for the most part, has been... L- very strong in the card game rules, in the actual card game I think game so, rule too. There's, there's some interesting stuff going on, for sure. Actual mechanics that the characters have to figure out and, like, do combos around. So I'd give yeah. it at least a three, I would think. I was I was kind of thinking a four, four, right? Like, not quite a five. I think I think a five would have been, like, if Kaiba had bought into the teamwork stuff and they'd actually done some cool stuff, like, more cool stuff together. I feel like a five was Yugi's duel with uh, strings. Absolutely. Absolutely. It Making was. that actually, infinite Look, combo. mime control. I did give mime control a five. So, you're right. So, let's... I'm going to give it a four. You know what? That's fair. Yeah. Four. Okay. Uh, so that gives us, yeah, so a tuna four, so sort of a, a low top right quadrant. Not the worst, but not, not the not best. Not the worst. Surprisingly, not the, best. not the worst. Yeah. Like, this is completely different, I do want to point out, from, like, the actual quality of the episode. This is just rating True. them on these two criteria. True. True. So, yeah, so like I said, and maybe somebody, I don't know, if anybody on Twitter is, like, really good at making axes charts with <laughs> Google Sheets, reach out to me. Because I'm trying, but it's looking bad. <laughs> I, I clicked over to your charts, and all these episodes are just all over the place. There's no, like, line of progression anywhere. There's no real trend line, no. I think really the, the the fun thing here will be once we've finished the season, we can go back and look at like, okay, what are the episodes that are both very plot relevant and have good mechanics or are very plot relevant and have terrible mechanics, yeah. like that sort of thing. Like figure out the four quadrants. And which episodes are just completely dumb as shit? Where the right, writers which episodes are definitely... I either not worth watching because they're so full of bullshit or are only worth watching because they're so full of bullshit. <laughs> exactly. All right. That brings us to the end of Double Duel. Wow. Wow. The end. Finally moving um, on to something All right. Else. Typically, we would jump into the segment, Yugi or not. Um, however, unfortunately, Lauren has... Uh, been delayed uh, by by the, the UK the bus, system. bus system. Uh, I'm texting her right now. She's on the bus currently, and I was like, "Hey, do you want to call in?" <laughs> uh, and she goes, "I don't know. I think it might bother the other people on the bus to have her talking about 
Manju of the Ten Thousand Hands. And Ritual Knives? Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, maybe not. Probably be some bad audio too. Yeah, um, but what, what I was what I was going for is I'm I'm sort of uh, trying a new approach here, um, inspired a little bit by Thomas from last week's episode, where uh, it, it uh, instead of just making up a card name, I'm actually getting names from other sources. So moving forward uh, for next week's you you're not uh, just for those who want to do a little bit of research, the cards will either be real Yu-Gi-Oh cards or song titles by the Norwegian death pop band Blood Command. Tyler, when you texted me this, my immediate reaction was, hell yeah. These are rad as it's, hell. I actually really like Blood Command as a band, so like, if you're into death pop, it's good stuff. I've never even heard of death pop, so I'll have to look them up. I will do that uh, right now. They have a song. Here's, here's, let, me f- let me find the song that got me into them real quick. Let me pull up Spotify here. Because... It's one of those where you know the feel of the the song name, but you can never remember the actual text. Mm -hmm. Uh, The song name is Blood Command Artist. Uh, Let's see. Uh, The song name is S01E02.return.of.the.arsonist. Dot 720p dot HDTV dot X264. Like a pirated like episode of a TV show. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. It's from their album, The Return of the Arsonist. Well, I pulled up their band camp, so I'll be listening to them later. It's super good shit. Yeah, they they have album titles like Return of the Arsonist, Funeral Beach, Cult Drugs, Um Afraid of Water, Nervous Laughter. Quitters don't smoke, which is very good. Um, all right. Hand us the alpha male and party all the way to the hospital. <laughs> so anyway, so look forward to more shit like that next week. Sounds um, fun. Jimmy, it's time for the monster bracket. Because we did two episodes this week, we have two matchups to do uh first oh why didn't that link uh why didn't that link transform there we go oh there we are uh nope there we go okay we just Um, freaking copy and paste out of this google doc here (laughs) uh so we have our first matchup is skull mark ladybug versus doll of demise uh, Skullmark Ladybug, for those who may not remember, is an Earth Attribute Monster. It's a level 4 Insect Effect Monster. 500 attack and 1500 defense. Uh, its card text says... Uh, when this card is sent to the graveyard, you can increase your life points by 1000. Which is pretty cool. Uh, Doll of Demise is a Dark Attribute Monster. It's a level 4 Fiend Monster with 1600 attack and 1700 defense. And this card actually is in the animated series, but is currently not a part of Yu-Gi-Oh! trading card game. Oh, the rarest card, the one that doesn't exist. This is the uh, this is the gopher of the Yu-Gi-Oh! world. <laughs> for the, the three people that get that joke. Anyway. You don't get... Nope. No, it's from uh, Winnie the Pooh, the animated series. Oh, not in the book, you know. Oh, 
Oh, that gopher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, let's let's revisit the looks here because it's been a bit since we talked about either of these cards. Let's throw a Skullmark Ladybug. Let's do. Skullmark Ladybug is a bug with a skull on it. Yep. This is. You could a... say it's got a skull mark. And is a ladybug. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Is it? It's. I don't know. It doesn't have spots. I guess the eyes would be spots on the skull. I guess. This would be like a low-level enemy in like a Zelda game. This is like a Skulltula. Yeah, I, was, I was literally about to say this is a Skulltula. This is like it bites it you is. and you have poison for a few seconds. Right. Uh, and it's fine. It looks like a, a bug of unknown size. There's no reference. Um, but it's got six you know, golden legs. It's got big old pincers. Uh, and it's a card that's played by Weevil. Of course. There you go. Uh, Doll of Demise, on the other hand, is upsetting. Doll of Demise is like if, um, what's the guy who builds Pinocchio's name? Geppetto. Geppetto. This is like if Geppetto was secretly a murderer or a sociopath and wanted to build a partner in crime. Instead of being a charming little boy. This guy is going to run around and slice your feet off at the ankles with his axe. Yeah, so it's a it's a terrifying doll with a blonde bowl cut and shorts with suspenders for some reason. Uh, and in one hand it's holding an axe and the other hand is a Freddy Krueger glove. Yeah, like he's got, he doesn't have fingers on that end. He has three little scythes. Well, you know, who needs fingers when you've got scythes? This is a doll made to fuck you up. Y- yeah. That's its whole purpose. And in, in, I was going to say life, but I'm not sure that this thing could be called living. He slices it dices. <laughs> so, Jimmy, between Skullmark Ladybug and Doll of Demise, can I ha- tell me how you're leaning at this point. I have to say, I think Doll of Demise looks cooler. Because yeah. I feel like Skullmark Ladybug, while cool... We've seen before in other media, whereas Doll of Demise uh, has its own kind of unique charm to it in a horrifying way. Yeah, I I think the one kind of twist that Skullmark Ladybug has going for it is that it doesn't actually deal any poison to you. It actually gives the user back some health. That's actually pretty good. Which is like, it's pretty good. It's like, ooh, you think it's going to deal poison damage or whatever, but actually it just makes me stronger. Ha ha. Um, but yeah, as far as the look goes, it's like, man, I don't know. I've, we've seen this, right? Yeah. This is a, a played out kind of, kind of thing. Uh, spooky dolls also kind of played out, but there's just something about its cold dead eyes that makes me think the doll demise is going to take this one. I think so too. Like if we encountered both of these in a video game, you would see a lot of skull marked ladybugs, but you'd only ever see one doll of demise. It would be like a mini boss. Right. This guy yeah, would be exactly. like. It would be a named character. Yeah. It would have a title card, and then he'd be like doing flips around the room and like hiding behind stuff. God, that would be a terrifying game. And you just hear a child's I'd... giggling. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, no, nope. Mm-mm. Nope. I have to give it to Although I do like, I do like that that was your Furby voice. <laughs> hey. I'm going to chop off your ankles. I'm a real boy. Uh, 
for for those for those new to the show, uh, back in college, uh, Jimmy and his roommates made a series of videos centered around Furbies. That That's they had a long. I listen. This it's not me. My thing wasn't Furbies. I just thought it was hilarious that my roommates thing was Furbies. That's a right, long right. story you, that could be its entire. You were episode. tangentially involved. Yes. Furby by association. <laughs> But yeah, this is this is definitely this guy would be speaking in the voice of the Furby Yam Mania. <laughs> yes. <Hey. laughs> Thank you. I forgot it. I forgot that it had a Christian name. I'm gonna kill you. Uh. So yeah. So how are we? How are we feeling? I'm are we feeling doll demise? Yeah. yeah. Me too. All right. Let's call it there. Doll demise. Ding ding. Congratulations. You move on to the next round. Uh, let me write that in real quick. Uh, up next, we have who do we have? Ooh. We have kind of a weird matchup, if I'm being honest. We have Cyberjar versus Shining Abyss. Shining Abyss, we just saw last episode, so he's right here he in our. He's fresh in our minds. I, I couldn't remember the name of Shining Abyss at the time, though, which maybe says something. Um, Shining Abyss is, uh, let me see. It's a level four fairy normal monster, 1600 attack, 1800 defense. Uh, let me see what its card text says here. Uh, the card text says this monster employs the powers of both light and darkness. Cool. Uh, Cyberjar conversely is a level three rock slash effect monster, uh, with 900 attack and 900 defense. Uh, its card text says, let me load the page. This one's had a big uh, effect. It, it's, wow, this is a mouthful here. It's a flip effect. Destroy all monsters on the field. Then both players reveal the top five cards from their decks. Then special summon all revealed level four or lower monsters in face-up attack position or face-down defense position. Also, add any remaining cards to their hand. If either player has less than five cards in their deck, reveal as many as possible. Jimmy, this is a forbidden card. Yeah, I was about to say, my favorite part of this uh, website right here is a giant red banner at the bottom of the card text that just says, Forbidden. This, this is the, this is the, um, yeah, this is the forbidden. The uh, forbidden fruit. Uh, uh, yeah, this is a forbidden. It looks like a fruit too, kind of. It's a. Uh, if I had to describe Cyberjar, I would say it's a giant satellite uh, with lots of beeps and boops, uh, and coming out of one side of this roughly spherical shape is like a face. I think basically, it's, supposed to be it's a got face. it's got one like green eye that looks like it's got some like barrel rifle yeah it's like a green dome covering some like camera aperture and then it's got a big mouth thing with like giant pointy teeth yeah it's like generic robot bitey teeth my favorite part of cyberjar though is on the side uh sort of closest to the camera it has what looks to be just a giant phillips screw in the side yeah so this makes me wonder, is that like a giant screw or is this guy just like two inches long? Right. I mean, if nothing else, it looks like you uh, you take it apart for some easy, easy repairs. 
Uh, Shining Abyss, on the other hand, is... (laughs) Shining Abyss is a little bit harder to describe. Shining Abyss is like a... How did I describe it before? Like a weeble, right? Kind of. Like it it looks like one of those dog toys that they're designed to like tip over, but it doesn't actually fall down. Like pops back up. It's got a... She's got a wide bottom, this one. She's thick. She's thick. Um, um, Shining Abyss yeah. looks like the cross between one of those dog toys and angels, how they're described in the Bible as being just a bunch of eyeballs and wheels and stuff. Right, the horrifying abominations that are holy. I don't even know where to begin to describe it. We've talked about it before, so we don't have to talk about it fully again, but it's just... It's got golden wings it's got a face that's both a sun and a flame Uh, its shoulders are like um like russian church steeples that kind of onion shape yeah okay you know what it is i figured it out jimmy i know i know how to describe this do you remember there was that painter that did a lot of drugs and kept drawing pictures of his cat as he got more and more like under the influence. He did like acid or something. Vaguely, like, I, I feel like I must have seen this before because it sounds familiar. I uh, could also be thinking like of someone of an artist succumbing to dementia and his paintings, which is way sadder than that, what you're talking about. That might be what I'm thinking of too. Um, oh, I just, I just googled cat on LSD, which is very different. <laughs> <laughs> Very different from what I wanted. <laughs> um, no, I'm gonna Google this, see what comes up. Uh, I I think you may be right, actually, because the first thing that comes up is a Reddit article about this. Um, oh yeah, okay. So Lewis Wayne was the name of the artist, and the his cat paintings are often used to show the progression of his schizophrenia. Is what it was. So it's it's this artist who, uh, you know, was dealing with a mental illness, which like, again, I like I don't want to make that the funny part yeah. here, right? Like, if this is something that you struggle with, seek professional help. Don't listen. Don't listen to whatever weird things we say on this shitty podcast. The thing I wanted to point out here was that he did something really interesting, which is he kept painting pictures of his cat, and we get to see how these paintings progress over time. And they get steadily more like weird and psychedelic to the point where the final picture is not recognizable as a cat anymore. It's just like floral decorative thing, right? Shining Abyss is Pegasus version of that where he's painting his wife. Damn, that went in a direction I was not expecting. This is because pe- it's Pegasus making these cards, yeah. right? Pa- past a certain point, like I'm sure so many of them are based on Egyptian folklore or whatever. This one is Pegasus slowly coping with the death of his wife and painting her in more and more abstract ways to the point where she becomes this like heavenly creature. I have to say, it looks way cooler in the card art than it did in the show. Mostly because yeah, of the, the show sh- looks really dumb. Mostly because of the shading and how shiny it is. Yeah, it well, it doesn't have a discernible material that it's made no. out of because it's kind of matte 
all the way through. Man. How are we feeling? This is a... Shining Abyss versus Cyberdark. This is still a very weird matchup. It's very strange. I kind of want to... I'm kind of leaning Cyberjar, actually. I wait. I look at that. I enjoy Shining Abyss because of sure. how it looks. But Cyberjar just, like, wrecks all your shit on the field at once. To the, and to, I gotta tell to the you, extent that it is forbidden. I gotta tell you, Jimmy, it's that forbidden, it's forbidden. thing that's really calling the to me. The official Yu-Gi-Oh! trading card game website is warning you, the viewer, about this card. It's forbidden. I'm kind of like, I don't, don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm... Don't play it. You can't play it. It's forbidden. <laughs> and the cyber jar I'm, the I'm whole time of... is grinning at you like, yeah, come on, play me. You know you want play to. Play me. Play me. Watch what happens. You. It'll be good. C- cyber jar is like the, the bad boy in the rom-com that you know is bad for you, but you just, God, you're just so horny for that forbidden fruit. <laughs> What's going? Give me that fruit. What's going to happen? Who knows what monsters are going to come out? You don't. You Who? can't know. Yeah. You don't know. And that's and that's the know. draw. Okay, it has to be Cyberjar, right? It has to be Cyberjar. <laughs> I love this. Cyberjar wins. Ding ding! Congratulations, Cyberjar. <laughs> I would just wish it had a better name for what it does because Cyberjar is dumb. It looks so bad. It's a bad. It it does not look like a jar. It barely looks cyber. What is it? It says on the card that it's a rock type. What the hell is even is that? What is that? But god damn it, I want that fruit. I want that fucking fruit. Forbidden, Forbidden cyber jar. Give it to me. Alright, well congratulations, Cyber Jar. You made it to the quarterfinals? Cool. No. No, no, no. Nope. Okay. No, no, no. We're not. We're not there yet. Sorry. I jumped. I jumped the gun. I don't. What's the thing before the quarterfinals? Is that anything? It's not semifinals. That's like. Yeah, you made it to the Sweet Sixteen. There we go. <laughs> it's March Madness. All right. It's monster. What's it's that? Monster Madness. <laughs> there it is. All right. Uh, okay, so that brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, we have, I think we're going to be able to pull out one more episode before we take a break for the holidays. Because um, I'm going to be doing some traveling. You're going to be doing some traveling. Um, let me take a look real quick here and see what we have coming up next on the docket as far as episodes go. Um do, 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 Netflix. Um, oh, I'm, <laughs> I was looking through, okay, what's the next episode I haven't watched yet, but it's marked them all as watched because I've watched this season before in the past. Um, okay, uh, the next episode is a one-part. Oh, thank God. This is one of the rare one-parters. So next week, we are going to cover episode 25, The Rescue. Ooh. Perhaps there could be some story involved. Let's find out. Perhaps. Uh, and then after that, we'll probably be taking a Christmas break. Uh, we need to chat off mic about whether or not we're going to do some sort of end of the year episode again. Um, do another sort of card of the year. I don't know if we've seen it. We, we, we've been doing the monster bracket. Yeah. I don't know if we've seen enough cards to like really do a card of the year thing. We're already doing that with a monster bracket, but we can talk about it. Yeah. 
we'll talk about it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can email us at youactivatingmypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at yampod. That's Y-A-M-P-O-D. Uh, you can go to our website, heartofthe.cards, where you can download our episodes. You can uh, look at the monster subscribe. Bracket. What's look that? at the monster bracket. Look at the monster bracket. Uh, you can play Yugi or not. You can do all the shit. I still don't have a downloads page. Maybe that'll be my Christmas <laughs> treat. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, we make the show for free. Um, you know, this is a thing that I talk about every episode. Uh, we do this for fun, largely just so I can keep in touch with Jimmy and, and torture him slowly. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we don't want your money, but if you're the kind of person that likes to support a podcast, please send that money to uh, places that can actually use it, such as Trans Lifeline, uh, Pancreatic Cancer Action Network, the Yellowhammer Fund, especially now that we're nearing the holiday season, uh, the, the time of giving, as they say, put that money to use. Every little bit counts. Um, yeah, go go support something that matters. Uh, Jimmy, is there anything else that you want to plug while, while we're at nope, it? Let's get out of here. All righty. Uh, So next week, we'll be talking about episode 25 of season two, as I said. And until next time, get in the chopper now.